So big shout out to Graham's calves. They were pretty ripped. But in order to, to do the things that you're supposed to be doing here in the world, you're supposed to be becoming attuned to the spiritual worlds. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Great America Show. We are going to be chatting with uh, David W. Matheson a little bit later. You guys... Uh, most of y'all know and love him already, so I think this is the third time he's coming. That's why we're kind of dumping this out as an extra one into the feed. Uh, the other reason is because we did do an amazing YouTube video with this interview. So um, we strongly suggest that if you enjoy this interview, you head over to our YouTube channel. And uh, when you're at home, I'm sure most of you listen to the show on the road, but when you're at home, throw it on, listen to it. Or, and watch the YouTube video where we go through the, he has visuals of all the constellations and all that. And, uh, yeah, that'll be good. So uh, we're going to jump into that a little bit later, but first, uh. Oh, are we doing the intro for math? <laughs> yes, we're all confused. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But first, as always, Graham, confused as usual, Dunlop. Really? That's on your fucking book. No. You just made it up <laughs> now. You just add the yeah, on the list. That. Oh, jeez. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, it's nice to be here too. It is. We have like an eight-hour night of recording tonight, yeah. so it's like a, this is probably our longest night. Yeah, it could be a longest stretch. One of the longest stretches. Oh, high five! <laughs> Sleep me. I don't know what you're doing <laughs> up there. So, how you been? This is a good show. Good. I love talking to Dave. He's one of my favorites. He'll be at the first Grammar Con for sure. Yeah, and we'll get him to host it. It won't be a great marathon. It's way too much work. I have no idea. <laughs> so what's new? Not much. No. I, I, I've been sorry. I, I was going to talk about the CSETI experience, but I thought we'd leave that for when David is coming on to an intro. So I'm a little, yeah, I am a little confused. So you're going to save that for tonight? Why don't yeah. you use that now? Well, because... I want to, no, no, it fits better with, with David. And what we're talking about the stars and looking up at the sky, and then I can share that experience. Okay, fine. Yeah. They like saving times this weekend. So if people want to hear the latest CSETI experience, then they'll look at the, listen to the latest, uh, the latest podcast episode with that was Joshua that Black. Would been, that, that would have been the last episode. Yeah. There are no marks in the no marks. Except for, you know, I have this ones. riveting oh, replay of Graham's that was a good idea, though. Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, like, uh, how, how's this, uh, I, I, I'm thinking maybe we should go and check out a place that has cattle tonight. While yeah. the out. I was say, we what are you guys doing trip. with the cattle? I just don't want to go that, out there alone. 20 experience points. Okay, out. come on. Like, you can't just play snippets of that. That's not fair. No, yes, it is. If it's on YouTube, it's fair. Oh, come game. on. I can't believe it's on YouTube. Did you guys copyright it? I didn't even know we were recording it. It's all like, I didn't know. I didn't realize. <laughs> this is news to you. This got broken. You. Well, they told me before, but I, I forgot. That's okay. So it's not, it's not their fault. 
It's not there. Anyways, yeah, we've been playing some D and D. It's awesome, and I'm finding all these people in the local area that are playing as well now. There's a big resurgence, or I can't tell if it's a big resurgence or if I'm just uh, actually the people in the store say it's resurging. Even the store I go into selling new material now for the older versions. Anyways, let's move on. Move on. You've had enough. I know. Shout out to Tanner. I know he's doing some. he should get in touch if you're yeah, you doing some D&D like podcast. Battle. Yeah. Could you guys do like a battle? Can really, we do that? Not, yeah, well, like not. intergalactic. Like, what would be a good spinoff? Like when the Simpsons are on Family Guy or some shit. <clears throat> kind of like Did that. that happen? I don't, I don't even know. know if that actually happened. Are you going to play? Play what? You, you can play. No, I'm not going to play. No? Oh, okay. There's no chance. Okay. Um, I did have a... An old Indian quote about daylight savings. Yeah, let's talk about that. I wanted to share. It's a little racist, so forgive me. But I'm half white too, so I can get away with it. That's about about the clocks going back? Yeah, only a white man would believe that you could cut a foot off the top of a blanket and sew it to the bottom and have a longer blanket. (laughs) Is that really the quote? Yeah. That's a good comparison. It's probably fake news, but I I liked it. I seen it, I seen it, and I, I chuckled. I have a problem with it. I hate it. Yeah. But at least this is the good way. I mean, it sucks because it's going to be dark earlier, but it's dark pretty early. That's the shitty thing. I was just, I mean, now it's like dark at fucking six o'clock or five o'clock. It's going to be dark and we're going to change it. Now it's going to be dark at fucking four o'clock. That's a pain in the ass. But the cool thing is I get to sleep an hour later on Monday. So I'm going to really try. This is the direction that I'm going to really try and use it to fucking start getting up earlier. I should be able to get up at fucking six in the morning and actually be, I should be able to start getting up at six in the morning and actually be getting. You think this is going to start some trend about you getting up earlier and actually getting up to work on time for once? (laughs) Come on, really? No, there's no chance I'm going to work on time for the next five months until they open that motherfucking road again. And I'm writing a letter to the town office. I got a fucking mind to go over there. I can't believe the poorness in the planning. I'm, I'm, Blown away. I'm, I'm blown away that the second main route in and out of town is fucking closed for five months. Yeah. And the alternate route is a dirt road. Yeah. With no lights and no anything, and we're going into winter. Yeah. And there's already an accident today. Yeah. So not only that, I get home and I was like just going on the local Facebook page. There's like a page for the town that I'm on. Yeah. And it's just like complain after complain really? after complain about this road being closed. Yeah. They don't realize it's one of the main roads. Like there's no other way to go. Like, oh, there's no other way to go. You yeah. have to go but he's like, way out of the way. Hour, it took me an hour, and a, hour and a half to fucking get home today. Stuck on the dirt roads trying to get through. So what happens is those people, what? I mean, we can't oh, talk about this. No, yeah, we yeah, can't talk about yeah. this. What were we talking about before we got, to, oh yeah, so I'm not going to be on time for work. So forget about that. But anyway, so the clocks are going ahead. So usually I get up at like, you know, 20 after 6, 6.30, I get out of bed. I'm out the door. I try and be out the door by 10, too. So now it's going to be, that's going to be actually 5.50 all of a sudden. So I should technically be able to sleep till 6 a.m. It's 7 now, so I'm sleep, getting an extra half hour. I'm sleeping a half an hour later. I'm up a half an hour earlier. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why we have to mess around with that. Well, I'd rather we didn't, but I'm, I'm going to try and use this yeah. to grasp. Yeah. And then, I mean, I always sign every petition to abolish it. Yeah. But they just we just got denied again. Really? Yeah. Got shelved. Uh, 
the legislation to ditch it got shelved. I see. I'd rather it be light out before work than dark. I just don't oh, like no, changing the fucking and, time. Man. Yeah, it sucks. I Try scheduling the podcast and Britain's changing it. They already changed it. And some people don't. South people Africa Saskatchewan doesn't change it. And Phoenix do. doesn't. Arizona yeah. doesn't. Yeah. It's a real bitch yeah. for trying to schedule things. Yeah. Everyone should just be same time. Yeah. Anyway, enough of this bullshit. I am fucking triggered, Al. What's up? What you got for me? Oh, I got a couple uh, emails, feedback. Feedback? U- UFO stuff. UFO stuff? Hmm. Another edition of the Grime American Goodies by the people. people. This is from Paul. He says, Hi, Graham and Darren. I'm a pretty new listener and I really enjoy the show. I work from home often, so I really appreciate the long, entertaining intros because I try and fill my workday with podcasts. I'm writing a little late, but I wanted to send you a note about Mount Shasta and the Grant Cameron episode. My girlfriend and I grew up in Mount Shasta City in our own sightings and have our own sight. Oh no, is this going to be? Oh boy. And we have our own sightings we could share. Most people who live here do. But I wanted to share two of her grandfather's sightings with you. I've attached a scan of a newspaper clipping and a drawing he did of one of the crafts to his email. Or no, to this email, sorry. Her family has been in that area for a few generations and in the 60s, her grand. Father was a police captain in Mount Shasta City. He was pretty no-nonsense sort of guy. And in 1963, he was on night patrol with another officer, and they noticed some strange lights near Mount Eddy, which is west of the city. They used their binoculars to look at it and saw that it was a metallic object with lights on the side hovering in the air. They estimated the size to be about 30 to 40 feet across. The second sighting happened again when he was patrolling at night. This time, a bright light appeared over his car, and the car actually turned off. Wow, that's like your typical, stereotypical, like, 1960s UFO encounter. I would freak the fuck out. No, you wouldn't. I don't think you would. I'd be cussing. (laughs) He was able to look out of the windshield and get a good look at it. I think this is the one he made the drawing of. You can read the newspaper clipping for all the info. Anyways, just wanted to quickly share that with you. There are probably hundreds of stories about UFOs, Bigfoot, etc. from that area. Thanks for the great show and keep up the good work. So, yeah, pretty interesting. Oh, did I? uh... So, and then it says uh, the newspaper clipping is this really old one. Jack Brown, 1967 photo, and it's got Mount Shasta has own 60s close encounters. And then he's got a picture of the UFO here. (laughs) Nice. Is that the exhaust? I don't know what that is. Pretty weird, eh? Looks like a vagina. (laughs) Sideways? Yeah. There you have it. An upside down fish taco. <laughs> GrandMicroAmerica.com. <laughs> what else you got? I'm going to do, I got, should I go next? You got uh, more? No, I got a little, I got a little, uh, what else do I have here? I'm, I'm all set on? up for the other one. So, oh, here's a good one. So greetings from Grimerica past. Ooh. I've been ripping through the episodes from the absolute beginning with never listening to an up-to-date show. So in this parallel American dimension, it's about episode 123. I've been listening for about a month and a half during my 10 to 15 hour days. Like Darren, I'm also a welder, fabricator, 
and at least one of you have seen my Instagram page, Laser Pig Fabrication. That's you. Yes, I, I remember that. I remember that page. Just want to let you guys know your show fucking rocks. I don't know what's better. The interviews are just the grambling. Grambling on, grambling on, brother. Have we, have we called it Our grambling Wi-Fi before? passwords, rambling, gram. Have we called it grambling though? Yeah, yeah, I've used grambling. People for... who say your intros are too long or fucking high or not high enough. <laughs> it's also fun to hear you guys get stoked from three-year-old tech like Oculus Rift. My favorite content so far was that interview with Scotty Roberts talking about the Moses porn and the strap-on beard. I don't remember that. Also, the Mike Hawk revelation had me laughing out loud in the shop. Keep it real, guys. And that was from Gary. <laughs> so I'd, I'd really be interested because he's so he won't even hear this till um, probably in another uh, month and a half. So maybe by Christmas, he'll hear this intro. By Christmas? And it would be Why? interesting because he's listening. You don't even listen to me when I read these because he's listening. I'm all queuing the way up, up the next segment. He's all the way up. He's listening for, and he hasn't listened to any recent ones. He's just gone from the beginning all the way up. Like in order. Oh, so what I'd really like to know is how we, like if he notices us changing or how he thinks the show evolved or something, because nobody else is going to get that perspective. No. He's going to have a very unique perspective of what's going on in this igloo. I wonder if we've become jaded or anything. I know, else. that's what I mean. I'd like yeah, to know that. I know. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. Or if it's changed us in any way. Yeah. Be interesting to it's really I hope he keeps that up. So yeah, email me in December. But he's not gonna get this until it's too That's, late. What do you mean? Too late how? So caught up. We needed him to know this like on one. Oh yeah. <laughs> we need to somehow go back and add this. To I'll one. email him. I'll email him. <laughs> okay. My turn? Yeah. Bingo, bingo, social media jingle. Don't forget to rate, comment, and or subscribe to the Grime America newsletter. Bingo, bingo, social media jingle. Don't forget to rate, comment, and or Jeff Log, Lagoo, pardon me for being a prude, but if I wanted to hear fucking every other word, I'd go to the pool room. I made it to 611 and only because I was weaving my English pee trellis and listened on a Bluetooth. Finally, I couldn't take it anymore and stopped and walked over to the pewter to find something else to listen to. Wow. By the way, I unsubscribed too. Thanks for the feedback. Yep. Was that on one of your, do you remember what episode that was? You were that, on the that was on, potty uh, mouth going on? Alexander Polinsky. Really? You were swearing that much on that? It was probably the intro. Sometimes you get a little excited in the intro. Yeah. That I got in the response. If you can't handle the F-bombs, you definitely shouldn't be watching Grimerica. But I hear the F-word after 10 p.m. on basic cable almost every night. I think this guy was just looking for something to complain about. I am tired of trolls bashing stuff all the time, criticizing people who are actually doing something while they sit on their ass offering nothing but negative comments, hiding behind their keyboards because they are too afraid to confront anyone in real life. 
And Elephant Shoes said, that's not fair. He did say he was weaving an English pea trellis. <laughs> exactly. I'm actually intrigued as to what that it looks like. It's a it's a pea like vine, a pea trellis, like pea pea shoots probably. Oh yeah, I guess for growing peas. Yeah. Oh, I've done that myself. <laughs> <laughs> you just didn't know what was called. Well, I've English. never weaved it. Yours was a Canadian pea trellis. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Okay. What else do we got? So if you weren't weaving it, what were you doing? Just laying just it down. Bought it. Just what? bought it, installed, and then hung it. You hung it instead of weaved it? I bought it, it pre-weaved. Really? <laughs> yeah. I guess you could, like, even when I, with, well, with my tomato plants, I use a trellis. Right. But I don't weave it. I just buy it in the grid, and then I cut it off in chunks. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Uh, we got, um, here, you'll like this one. On the Randall Carlson 222, I think it was. Okay. From Steve Everts. Hmm, seems geoengineering is always left out when the polarized climate change causes arguments are discussed. Are so fee- few people really still unaware of the history and current extent of aerosol trail spraying? It's probable current run it's probably current runaway greenhouse effects and why it's probable current runaway greenhouse effects and why it's done for military weather reasons slash weather reasons. I'm having a real Dun- <laughs> I'm trying to I'm get the point. Dunlop reading here. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, then he just gives a bunch of links. It really goes on. Is Randall really unaware of all the spraying issue, not to mention it as a probable major current warming cause? Yeah. yeah. I think Randall probably well, people be don't aware want to, of, well, but you can't touch that. Randall can't touch that. You will soon. You will soon enough. Maybe. It's coming out. Yep, they're gonna start openly geoengineering, fucking with our weather. That's the most annoying thing. Sorry for the F bomb. They're P. Trellis, man. From Anthony C. on uh, the 9-11 show with Richard Gage. Talk, talk, talk. But where is your evidence? Where is your peer-reviewed evidence? 16 years later and it's just a game for you guys. What? See how many views or likes you can garner on for YouTube. What? For what? Richard Gage? For the 9-11 one? Yeah. Oh, wow. What, Gage evidence recent- for 9-11? Gage recently went to the body which governs his trade, the AIA, to try and mass pass a measure which would ask for a new investigation into how WT7 collapsed. Those who voted were architects at their convention. He received just 4% of the vote. Later, after after the vote, Gage claimed that the conversations outside of the convention, he pulled those same architects, and the vote was over 50% in favor of new investigation. I lost my spot. This is the voodoo methods which Gage and his ilk live by, fabrications and lies. Wow. Meanwhile, it was the AIA which endorsed the NIST report on WT7, agreeing on its conclusion that office fires cause a collapse. Wow. And then we got uh, the very word secret. This is on, who's this? Uh, Sully, Robert W. Sullivan IV. The very words by T.J. Trusty. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society, and we, and we are. Uh, yeah, that's the quote from JFK or whatever. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, JF motherfucking K. Yeah. Should I try again? No. No. We've no. all heard it a million <laughs> times. Thanks for posting that in the YouTube oh, we comments. Got, we got this from our friend Yoni. 
Robert, keep it under 300 pages, okay? Nobody reads anyway. And cut down on the double espressos. Yummy's <laughs> cutthroat. He's cutthroat. You don't give a shit. Um, 242. So if Jewish scripture specifies that a tragedy will occur on the equivalent of a Jewish holiday of Tisha B'Av on 2001, does that lend credence to the thought on the part of some that Israel was actually involved to at least some degree in causing, or at least not actively preventing, the events of 9-11? Mm. Would religious Jews view 9-11 as something that needed to happen? I don't think so. What makes you say that? Because, oh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. That's a weird one. It's a good point. Yeah. It's interesting to think about. Isn't it? If it was uh, predicted on a holiday like that and it happened, is it supposed to? Or it's been or it's prophecy, prophesied? Or caused? So I don't understand. Can you... I don't understand that that negative feed that so that negative feedback from the guy. So he just thinks nine eleven like really it was just basically office fires. That well, I think there's a lot of people that don't like uh, Richard Gage still, architects and engineers from nine eleven. Yeah, like we ran no, into that quite a bit. I know there's the polarized community, but he seemed even outside of that. Do you think? No. Maybe. Hmm. That's good. Good feedback. Yeah. Back to you. Back to you, Graham. Back to me. With the weather. I got a UFO quote and a small synchronicity. Ooh. What do you want? Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Let's go with... Synchronicity. It's time for another installment of the... Canadian third party synchronicity rating authority. Okay, that's good. Wrong this keyboard. is a small. Yeah, you got to be careful of that. You're going to delete the show. So I'm listening to your latest podcast in my backyard when all of a sudden during the one hour and 35 mark, as you're saying Oregon multiple times, I glance at my chainsaw. My son moved from the shed, and of course, there it was printed on the chainsaw, Oregon. What the fuck, bro? LOL. Great show. Keep up the amazing work. Steve from Stratford, Ontario. P.S. I lived in Thompson, Manitoba for about two years and traveled around the north between 2012 and 2014. I was just wondering if you guys had ever been there. You're not listening to me at all? No. <laughs> <laughs> We have to do something about this. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry. I'm, I got too much going on. Thompson, Manitoba? You ever been there? No. And I guess you're not going to rate the Oregon synchronicity? <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a 6.42. <laughs> it was just one of those many ones that happens to me all the time. We've been going back and forth, me and a bunch of listeners on all these many ones. Like when you're listening to something and you see it, it happens in cycles for me. Take it from the top. No. I'm not going to repeat it for the listeners. I'm okay. moving on. Okay, do your quote then. <laughs> okay. Down and Graham going deep. It's a profound UFO quote of a week. Words to ponder and critique. It's a 
profound UFO quote of the week. So this is a little one. It is my belief that one of the objectives of your organization, the Air Research Group, is the public dissemination of data on unidentified flying objects. This is contrary to you, to Air Force policy and regulations. That's Captain Gregory. <laughs> Gregory H. Oldenburg, USAF Information Services Officer, Langley Air Force Base, Virginia. CIA? No, I don't think so. U.S. Air Force. But wasn't that's what the CIA is? Hmm. Oh, Langley is Langley, Langley a city? Air Force, no, it's Langley Air Force Base. Yeah, it's different. Outside of Langley City, is Langley a city like in BC? Langley, Must Virginia. Be. Yeah, that's where the farm is. I think the farm. Yeah, isn't it? Is that what they call the CIA? Well, the, the training, I think. I the thought farm the farm was in Utah, where all the servers are. No, <laughs> that's the, that's a different farm. That's the Matrix. Yeah, that's where they that's where they host the Matrix. There you have it. That's about it, buddy. That's all you got. We better shut this guy down so we can finish off the rest of the night. Oh, we got a bit of time. <laughs> I got, says you I got a couple were... questions for you from the chat room. Okay, okay. That's what I was lining up. Okay. That's why I missed oh, the signal. Oh, right. Okay, okay, good. I got, uh, oh, Jesus Christ, Felix. <laughs> I don't think I have much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, Mr. Al says, Graham, are you afraid to work on your own computers? No. What kind of work? What do you, what's your comfort level? I don't know what he's talking about. If your computer broke, could you install RAM? Oh, I'm afraid to work on my own computer? I'm not going to work on my I don't have time for that. Hmm. The learning curve is too steep. Felix asked if you've ever been on a cruise. <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> Two of them. <laughs> he also asked if you could recount your first kiss experience. Yeah, in a closet when I was nine. Boy or girl. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got actually it was a wardrobe from our w oh wow they're really piling in now from our buddy um craig ward if you had one wish what would you wish for usual wish rules apply so no wishing for more wishes oh man come on this is That's like a tough one <laughs> This is like the big D and D thing. You know, you get a wish, a magical wish, and it's the big controversy, right? Just take the cop out and go world peace. I know. I was thinking that's the first, that's the first thing that came to my mind. Disclosure, maybe. I don't know. Really? No. <laughs> yeah. Solve hunger. Solve hunger. World hunger. Good one. That's a good know. wish. Oh, your prince. No, I don't know. The draw. Call it a draw. A draw? Yeah. What posters do you have on your wall at home? Pink Floyd with the uh, naked ladies. Really? Yeah. Well, you have naked not lady up. posters in your wall? not up, but... Okay. Well, they're not naked, but... Owl James says he can install the hardware. What hardware is he talking about? Side chat. 
Okay, we gotta go. Wait, I got one more. Favorite food. Pancakes. Pancakes? That's a good one. What's your favorite exercise to do and why? Yoga. Yoga? Yeah. Do you wear fanny packs? I uh, used to. I might revive it. First sci-fi film you watched? Oh, geez, I don't know. Blade Runner? Aliens? Ooh, Blade Runner. Didn't they just redo Blade I Runner? I just saw it. That's the guy we aimed to I just saw it, yeah. Philip K. Dick's wife or whatever. Yeah. Ex-wife. Yeah, Tessa Dick. Okay, I think that's about it for now. That's, I like that little segment. That rolled out pretty good. Yeah. We, should, we could do something with that. Sorry I missed the synchro over it. but No, actually, Star Wars would be sci-fi. We saw that in the drive in 1977. I was not even alive yet. <laughs> on the swing. And a big drive-in. Like, classic, hot summer night in Quebec. You remember that? Yeah. You remember times Swingin'. before I was alive. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How old were you? Seven. Oh. Good times. Yeah. That's a good little segment. Sorry I missed the sinker, but we maybe birthed a new segment. That's it. right. Right on, buddy. Well, maybe we'll do this again. I'm trying to do the live broadcast. Yeah. Yeah, the videos, we're getting the hang of it. We need Joey back to run this shit. That would help. That would help. All right, buddy. All right, guys. Enjoy the chat with David W. Matheson, uh, 3.0. Matheson back, Star Myth Investigator, for the third time. I think he's been here twice before. And uh, all the world's traditions have, have been built around the, the stars, the planets, the sun and moon. And David's been investigating them for, for quite a while. He's written a couple of huge books, big coffee table book that we have here in the studio. And we're going to try a video presentation. It'll be... Uh, It'll be brilliant. This is our first crack at this, so this don't is, be... Well, the true we, we've actually had a couple cracks at it, but hopefully this is the first one that works. Yeah. Yeah, so welcome back, David. Thanks for uh, doing this with us. Thanks for having me, Graham and Darren. I feel like I'm right in the igloo. This is fantastic. Yeah, we've been both skywatching a little bit lately as well for different reasons, and uh, we want to ask you some personal questions about that kind of stuff as well. Excellent. Yeah, so uh, um, what did you you mention something? Oh, yeah, I've been here twice before. I put it on that Grimerica passport. Hopefully people can see the... Uh, oh, yeah, those are the actual in episodes. In a little window. So I was on show 99 in 2015 in January, and then the previous time to this one was show 142 in November of 15. So it's been almost exactly two years. Oh, wow. Two, since yeah. the last one? Yeah, isn't that Holy crazy? Holy shit, that's crazy. You guys have been cranking out a lot of interviews. 
Yep. Jeez. Yeah, it's been going good. Is it that long ago? Two years ago. <laughs> yeah, I was 99. And one, what what number are you guys up to? 245, I think. It'll be 245 this week. Yeah. I don't know. Darren stamped the last one wrong. So people again? are confused. Yeah. Did I do it wrong again? Yeah. You used the same stamp from the week before. Oops. And the iTunes count is off, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're up there. Yeah. Plus, we got the, about 10 in the black budget. So, yeah, it's going pretty good. Nice. Yeah, well, thanks for having me back. And uh, one of the things that kind of, you know, I'll let you guys lead the questions wherever you want. But one of the things that kind of precipitated it was this was me going to the eclipse, the solar eclipse. Can you see that on the screen? Yeah. Sorry, I'm just <laughs> setting it. I set it up so that there's a double feed so that we have the ability to switch back and forth between uh Having us on the side and not having us on the so side. So if you want to zoom into his presentation, you can just flip feeds like that. That's I great. Can. That's I can great. do that. That's I great. have yeah, to do it manually. So when he starts showing stuff that's a little more in-depth, I have the ability to just click and click. So Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's the eclipse path. I was in there someplace. Yeah, you were. So that's me going. That I started way below where the bottom of the screen is, and you started way above the top of the screen. But <laughs> zooming in, that... Unfortunately, the resolution on my little photo isn't that great, but I was, that says Long Creek right above the purple circle. I was inside that purple circle and Darren, and Darren was right at Long Creek, like less than five miles away. Yeah, I was actually, yeah, I was literally probably to the left of Long Creek by about an inch, half an inch even down at the end of County Road 10. I think it was 10. And you guys didn't know you were that close to each other. No, no. and I have, and I, you know what? I went to put Dave's phone number in my phone today and I had it even. So it was literally a phone call away and he would have been, oh yeah, yeah. I'm just up the road. Yeah. yeah, that was funny. I was actually listening to a podcast on the way out. So I didn't hit a lot of traffic until I was coming out. So I was listening to one of you guys' podcasts and then it was the one about the eclipse and the guest asked Darren, Darren said, oh, I'm going. And the guest asked Darren and said, oh, I'm, and he said, oh, I'm going to the east side of Oregon right next to John Day. And I'm like, are you, you got to be kidding me? Yeah, too bad you didn't so, listen to it before. Anyway. So was the eclipse, so, was it, was it more than you expected or what was your feeling after, after that? Yeah, it was, I thought it was indescribable. I thought it was really amazing. Um, uh, I'd read a lot about what an eclipse a solar eclipse is like, and uh, I'd never seen one in person. And I thought it was, it was like, I mean, it's, it's indescribable, really, I thought. It's like the sun was suddenly replaced by a monster octopus in the sky, and you couldn't take your eyes off of it. Oh, it's the know, most amazing you... thing ever. I think Ephraim, I met up with Ephraim shortly after on the coast of Oregon, and he was like, you know, he's like, everyone's asking me what it looked like, and he's like, well... You missed it, man. He's like, you either seen it or you missed it. And he's like, if you didn't see it, you missed it. Because no pictures or videos or words that I can tell you are going to say what it was like. That's that's right. That's that is, and you know what? Um, I, I kind of felt like it's like when in Frodo in The Lord of the Rings puts on the ring and all of a sudden the whole world changes and you get this like rushing sound and everything's like... <laughs> That's what it felt like to me when this, it was so sudden how it transitioned from being a partial to a total. And then it was like, 
it was like you're staring at it and you couldn't take your eyes off it. But anyway, I don't want to go, you know, that's been talked about a lot in the in the intervening months, but we can we can come back to how that ties in maybe to some of the myths later on. But I didn't want to uh, focus in on that too much at the beginning because we've got a lot of ground to cover. So absolutely. Next next time we will make sure we meet up. It's in the cards. <laughs> yeah. It'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was a it's not exactly a synchronicity because we were both planning. Hmm. Where's a good route where I've got east to west lateral. You know, so we were both using the same kind of planning mentality, but we happened to end up within five miles of each other from something about like great minds or some shit. <laughs> exactly. like someone yeah. said something someday. So we don't, synchronicity. So we don't have to get into this now, but before you go, I, I do want to know, like we're, I'm going to be out looking at the stars this weekend and we were, ta- we were talking about, you know, having you come on a little bit more often to, to give us like what to watch out for in the night sky. Um, and then Darren's been going out a little bit more star watching as well. So b- before we do let you go, I do want to get into uh, if there's anything going on coming up. Yeah, no, great. And and I'll say that watching the stars, just real quick, so I don't forget to say this later, is if you're able to get outside and do it, I mean, some people may not be physically able to do it, but if you can, it's free. And it's kind of like going to a bar in a new town and you go there and you're a total stranger. But if you go back every night or you go back every week, pretty soon you start to go, oh, hey, there's that guy always sits right there. And then after a little while, you start to know, oh, yeah, wait, Joe's not in his normal spot. And then after a while, they start to become your friends. And then so if you just kind of go to that bar every week or that pub, if you go out every night and kind of walk around and look at the stars, at first, they'll, you'll feel like a stranger in a new town. But after a while, they'll become your close buddies or, or friends, like familiar friends anyway. So I saw something the other night. I might as well ask now before we get into the video part of it. Um, when I was out the other night with a group of people, um, we saw Pallades rise on the, on the horizon. And I've never seen that before. I didn't even know it was a thing or if it would be a thing. But a guy at the edge of our group, and I mean, I don't want to get into too, this for too long because people have heard it and we talk about it already. But um, he was like, what is that? What is that on the horizon? And, and my initial thought was it's the Pleiades. But then the more I looked at it, and you know how the Pleiades is, it's very hard to focus on. It feels like it dims and fades and, and you know, comes in and out. And I saw this uh, blue and green um, amorphous blob of what I thought was like just this blob of energy. And everybody was seeing a variation of that sort of bluey green thing. And I don't know if it was because of the northern lights or smoke on the horizon or this was in, when was this, August or July? It was pretty smoky. It was in the summer. So, I mean, it could have been atmospheric, whatever. But, you know, I also did hear that the Palladians' colors are blue and green that people talk about. But anyways, it was a fucking crazy sight. And until it started to rise a little bit more, um, you couldn't tell it was the Pleiades. It just looked like this weird amorphous blob. And then as it came higher, it was less distinct and then more like just the constellation. But I wondered if you'd ever heard of any anything in regards to the rising of that. Of that. So, yeah, the Pleiades are super important around the world. They're uh, really mythologically important, but I and, and they are rising right now. Um, actually now they're starting to be a little higher in the sky when the sun goes down, but, um, because they, they continue to progress across the sky. So I've never seen any blue or green amorphous colors with the Pleiades. They're like, to me, um, there's, they're a beautiful cluster, 
but to me, they are almost like a miniature Big Dipper, the shape of the brightest stars in the Pleiades. But they're a fantastic, beautiful, you know, I, I love the, the Pleiades. Um, but no, I've never seen anything like that. That's probably because you're, uh, you know, you're doing your C-SETI meditation. That's right. But I don't think that could affect that. I mean, what would that be? Like, why would we see that? That thing, like, well, it w- is it partly the northern lights or some sort of atmospheric um, trickery or like what, what? What would that be? Yeah, I don't know. Because it wasn't yeah, only I'm... it wasn't only me. I mean, it was every, every like I saw what I saw, but everybody was seeing something like that. Like I got up yeah. and ran. I got up and it was so profound for me. I got up and ran like twenty feet over, uh, you know, yeah. aw- away from the group, like looking at it. Yeah. And, no, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And the other thing I loved about it is, is the new moon. Like, there's a big difference between, you know, when we were out last weekend, Darren, and there was like a three quarters, almost a full moon. It really is different on how dark the night sky is and how much of the other stars shine. Yeah. Yeah. It really does put a damper on things. <laughs> it was actually for a while there on the Friday night, the moon was clouded out so you could see the stars. And now it was dark before the moon came up because that mountain was there. Yeah. And, you know, it's too bad because if it would have been, it'd be nice to be out there on a new moon. I went out, though, down by Pritis a couple weeks ago, and it was not a new moon. It was like half a moon. Um, and it wasn't too bad. You could just like, and it was out, there was not a cloud in the sky. And it was just like, you just kind of look away from the moon. And you could still see, once your eyes adjusted, you could still see a lot, but not, you couldn't see the Milky Way. And it was right there, and you couldn't tell. You'd never yeah. tell the Milky Way was there. But, you know, I was, I'd forgotten because it was the first time I had gone and watched the sky in a long time. And I had forgotten how many things you see moving. And we saw a couple shooting stars. And, you know, it was great. And we were only there, you know, an hour. The amount of stuff you could see in an hour, hour and a half is just amazing. And, yeah. I mean, I don't think anything was anomalous. anomalous, but it was still great. The kids loved it. Yeah, no, the, uh, definitely great if you can get it to a dark area a little bit away from the haze of light that comes from a town, but the moon definitely plays a big role. But what happens is the the sun is always overtaking the moon, or that's one way of thinking about it. There's different ways you can conceptualize it. But when the um, first new moon is rising, still great stargazing, but then it'll get pro- the moon will get progressively bigger and bigger towards midnight. But the moon is always rising later and later. So after the full moon, which really does drown out the stars, what happens is then the moon will start rising later and later. So it depends on what you're, if you're watching kind of the prime time hours, which is after sundown up to midnight, then the moon will be in the way once it's, but but it'll start rising later and later, like at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and it'll start getting smaller and smaller again as it gets towards rising with the sunrise. And so after that full moon, it starts to come up later, even though it's a big moon, you can still get some stargazing in before it comes up. Anyway, all this stuff is actually talked about on my blog, which is now I'm, I'm almost at a thousand posts and they're hundred percent searchable. So if you go to my blog or if your you know, audience community of Gray America wants to go to my blog, you can search for moon phases and it explains why they happen or what's going on. And what's um, the URL again? So if you go to Star Myth World, that's my main website, Star Myth World, and that's got the blog. And then my blog is also called Matheson Corollary, and that's on Blogger, which has a slightly, uh, you know, that's the Google search. So that's really good search. 
but I keep it running on both places, on Matheson Corollary and on Star Myth World, starmythworld.com. And if anyone just searches for my last name, Matheson and stars, they'll get a link that takes them somewhere uh, that'll get them to Star Myth World. So the blog's on Star Myth World, fully searchable there and fully searchable on Matheson Corollary blog. And so the books are literal encyclopedias. Yeah. <laughs> so da yeah. David, are you saying that, that the moon, when the moon is, um, let's say we're talking about a full moon when it's rising, is it, does the size of it change depending on waxing, isn't it? Waxing? The season and, and like what you're saying, like how it ends up being, cause I saw it over the city the other night and it was just massive as it was rising. Yeah, Last when it's Thursday. close to the horizon, like the sun, when it's close to the horizon, it looks enormous. And uh, people say, or scientists say, that's some kind of a, like, our perception um, makes it look that big. Because if you take a picture of it, it doesn't look any bigger than at any other time. You know what weird. I heard? If you, you know what I was always told is if you, uh, like, flip yourself, like, upside down and look between your legs, it'll, <laughs> it'll look the normal size. So a moon, a moon under a ballscape is is normal. What? The, oh, ballscape! <laughs> I'm good at netscaping. <laughs> oh, netscape! <Are> sorry, <laughs> I can't even get the lingo right. Are you, are you guys ready to talk about the myths? Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. Let's jump into it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, but we, no, we can definitely do the skies over Grimerica or stars over Grimerica if you want me to come on every two weeks and say what's coming up. Like right now, what stars are up there and what constellations and what myths they might relate to. So, Well, what about that What about that, uh, that comet that's coming close by within like anywhere between like 4,800 kilometers to 170,000 or some sort of crazy thing? Are we able to see that in the night sky? Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm not prepared to answer that. <laughs> I'm talking about the stars and the myths right now. Okay. I think it might be a it might be a meteor that yeah, yeah the mean, meteor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. getting told of these meteors that are coming really close. Those are pretty hard to see, I think, without knowing exactly what you're looking for and having some high power mag. Okay. I mean, we hope <laughs> we hope they're far enough to be hard enough to see. Yeah, yeah. Not, I like not, how they can be off a hundred thousand kilometers in the in the farther away direction. It's like, yeah. well, what if you're so off no like, closer than what if you're off like five thousand <laughs> in the closer direction? Yeah. But yeah, we're ready to roll. Let's get into some star mess. All right, right on. So um yeah, so I've got the presentation going here. But I wanted to say, you know, I'm really excited to be talking about this stuff. It is it is talking about sacred things. So I don't want to get too, um, you know, now I'm live on, on a feed. So if I say something stupid or objectionable, you know, uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm only human. Um, but the myths themselves are awesome. And these are, you know, these are the sacred traditions that were given around the world. So I'm going to be getting into them, and I think they're doing something really incredible, but they're speaking to us in a celestial language, a different language than what we're often told that they're speaking. They're not speaking, well, I'll present evidence and people can decide what they're saying for themselves, but my thesis is that the myths around the world are all speaking this common celestial language, and that it's a common language, which means somehow this connects all people. It's the same language on the myths in Australia or the sacred stories in Australia, Africa, ancient Greece, 
the Americas, the Bible, um, ancient China, ancient Japan, um, ancient India, Norse mythology can all be shown to be using the same language, speaking the same language. So that, you know, opens up all kinds of questions about where did all this come from? But um, it should unite us, you know, instead of the Bible is often taught as, well, this is right and, and everything else is pagan, but they're actually all part of the same family. So that's the intro. I just wanted to say I'm talking about sacred things that some people hold very, you know, it's, it's a big part of some people's lives. So if you're, you know, easily upset about it or, or don't want to get into that, um, you know, I don't want to step on it. If, if it's working for you the way you're believing it, I don't want to... Um, Step right, on anyone's right. toes is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so I wanted to start actually, I've talked, you know, I've been on your show a couple of times and spoken a little bit about it, but I wanted to talk about, this is, can you see the screen over there, the picture of, uh, anyone know what that myth is? Audience? <laughs> mm. That is the four horses of the apocalypse. Well, it could be related. <laughs> this is uh, from, it's from Greek mythology. Yeah, he definitely has a team of four horses. This is from a, a beautiful collection of myths by uh, Ingrid and Ed, Edgar Perrin Dallaire um, that I grew up with their books on the Norse myths and the Greek myths. But this is a sh uh, depiction of the abduction of Persephone. Have you ever heard of that before? I've heard of her. Is Persephone? No. Yeah, I've heard of Persephone, but I haven't heard of the myth. Isn't she, okay. Is she in the, like... Is she in the Troy movie? I, I haven't I actually so. seen it. Okay. I, no. <laughs> I haven't actually seen it. I just know, you know, a little bit about it, but I've definitely studied the Iliad a lot. Anyway, I'm telling you all the things I don't you know. All your questions are too hard for me already, guys. Um, so the, the myth is that the God of the underworld from Greek mythology, you guys know who that is? Hades. Right. You're actually not supposed to say his name. <laughs> it's like dangerous to say his name. So a lot of times they called him Pluton or the god of the wealth of the underworld, um, which becomes Pluto in uh, Roman myth. Like all the Greek gods have a Roman name. Anyway, he abducts Persephone and takes her down to the underworld. Um, and her mother, Demeter, is the goddess of all things that grow on the earth, especially like corn and grain. And she um, refuses to let anything grow until she finds her daughter. So a lot of times, the reason I started up off with this one is, A, I haven't talked about it on too many other podcasts. B, I think it opens up a really good window to how these myths track with the stars. And C, a lot of times, if you go to a university professor and say, you know, the myths are all based on the stars. I heard this guy on Grimerica talking about Persephone. He might say, oh, yeah, that's because in primitive times when they relied on, you know, the seasons of the year, they had to make something up for why it was winter six months out of the year or part of the year. And that's because Persephone was taken down to the underworld. And they're just trying to explain that. And then when she finally comes back, then we have uh, spring and summer and everything grows again. And that's what they were doing with these ancient myths. And that's where the myths come from. And I think that by the end of this talk, hopefully, you know, by all these examples, you'll see these myths 
didn't grow up that way because they're the same all over the world. They're speaking the same language and they're actually talking about, I think, really profound stuff that you guys get into with your guests all the time, like the the invisible world, you know, paranormal, the existence of lucid dreaming or uh, shamanism. That's they're explaining the invisible universe and our invisible world that's inside each one of us has this internal world so we'll get into that but um i'll just tell you the story real quick so a lot of times in these greek myths you guys know that zeus is always going and having affairs with mortal women that's right yeah so a lot of times there's a lot of very the myths a lot of us grow up loving the myths but then when as a child but then when we read kind of the unadulterated myths we're like oh my goodness that's horrible what is this you know that's really violent or that's really uh it's because i believe they're based on the stars they're not talking about literal things so anyway zeus helped hades really wanted to abduct persephone zeus helped by covering the sky with a a dark cloud you can see up there a dark cloud um to blot out the sun so the sun wouldn't know what happened. The sun was, you know, the sun god. And Hades abducts Persephone, takes her to the underworld, and then Demeter, her mother, is looking all over the earth. Where's my daughter? And she finds a young shepherd or a swineherd who's who's herding his pigs, and his pigs fell into the underworld too. You can see him in that picture. And he saw what happened. He's the only guy who saw what happened. And Demeter finds him, his name is Triptolemus, and says, hey, what happened? And he said, well, the sun was blotted out by a dark storm cloud. And then I saw, you know, the earth open up, my pigs fell in there. I saw the chariot of the god of the underworld. And that was it. And so that's how Demeter knew that Zeus must have had a part in it. And she storms up to the Mount Olympus and says, hey, Zeus, I know you were part of this abduction and I won't let anything grow on the earth unless my daughter comes back. And then all the gods are like, well, that means everything will die if nothing grows on the earth and all the humans won't be able to give sacrifices to us. Okay, I'll go talk to Hades and he has to give her up. So Hades is going to give Persephone up, but she ate something in the underworld. She ate some seeds of a pomegranate and that's why she has to... When Hades finds that out, the gardener says, oh, she can leave, but um, she ate something while she was down here. And if you eat something in the underworld, you have to stay. So in order to let things grow on the earth, she gets to go back for spring and summer. But then she has to go back to the underworld for one month for each seed that she ate out of the pomegranate. And the myth has different versions. Sometimes it's three, sometimes it's four. So that's the background. You guys heard any of that before? A little don't bit. Eat food a little in the bit. Yeah, yeah, I definitely heard don't eat food in the underworld or the fairy realm or. Right. So this is around the world. So we'll tie in later on if we have some time. There's some Native American uh, sacred stories where you don't eat things in the underworld. And there's very um, similar things that tie in with the stars to show that this is the same system around the world. But let me just show you what I'm talking about with. This is. The constellation Ophiuchus, it's a little bit of a difficult one to see if you don't know. Can you see it on your screen? Can you make it big enough for people at home? Yep, yep. absolutely. We got a full screen. This is working perfectly. Great, right on. So he is right next to the Milky Way. So as Darren, you mentioned a little earlier, the Milky Way right now, the brightest part of the Milky Way is that bright part right by the foot of Ophiuchus. He almost looks like a, 
a tombstone or the body of Ophiuchus. The name Ophiuchus means the serpent holder or the serpent handler. You can see how it looks like he's holding two serpents there. It's like a rocket man. Yeah, he's very uh, distinctive shape. And this is, you can spot, he's very huge in the sky, but he's right by the Milky Way. And sometimes the Milky Way is like the passage to the underworld, or it's like smoke rising up from the underworld. In the book of Revelation, in chapter nine, they talk about opening the keys to the underworld, the bottomless pit, and the smoke rising up. And that's the Milky Way. They talk about. Uh, scorpion men, and they talk about centaurs, and they and that's the two constellations on either side. I haven't drawn them in, but it's Sagittarius and Scorpio on either side of that bright part. So this is the gates of the underworld. It's also the god of the underworld. And let me see. Can you see my? Uh, can you see my my mouse here? Let me see. Yep. Okay. So this part right here of of the Ophiuchus is sometimes the god of the underworld carries a noose. Like in ancient India, the god of, or in modern India, the Hindu god of the underworld, his name is Yama, and he has a noose, which he snares souls with. And when Yama catches you in his noose, you're going down to the underworld. This is the same, same figure plays the role of the god of the underworld. So I'm going to argue that this is, this is Hades who's going to abduct Persephone. So let me continue on here. This is, now I've shown, here's the Milky Way still over here. Underneath the feet of Hades, or the constellation Ophiuchus, is Scorpio. I would argue that Scorpio plays the role of the three-headed dog of the underworld, Cerberus or Kerberus. We won't get into that too much because it doesn't figure in this story. People might say, what, that doesn't look like a dog? But actually, Scorpio has many heads. Sometimes it's envisioned as having three heads, sometimes seven, sometimes eight. Like when Hercules fights the Hydra, Scorpio has nine heads. Right now, everybody at home might be going, wait, I don't really see this, but just uh, bear with me a minute. And this is the constellation Virgo, extremely important constellation Virgo. She uh, actually looks like she's lying on her back and she's sinking towards the west because the sky is going to, all the stars rotate towards the west, just like the sun rises in the east, goes towards the west. I believe that is Persephone when she's abducted by Hades. And I'll show you why. Because right above Persephone, so I forgot to, um, forget to mention one important detail from this drawing. Persephone was gathering flowers. You can see in the story, she's gathering flowers. This is an artist's depiction, but we have ancient sources talking about, and her bouquet of flowers like flies up in the air when she's grabbed by Hades and pulled down into the underworld. And that right there is a very faint, but beautiful constellation called Coma Berenices. It sometimes plays the role of a torch. That is the flowers of the bouquet of flowers I would argue, flying up in the air as Persephone is dragged down into the underworld. So I'll just pause and take a breath there and let you guys, is any of this? So I assume that, and that's happening when winter's coming, if you're in that hemisphere. Right. So that's a great question. So this is pointing towards a certain part of the year. So that's a great lead into why would the myths be doing all this? So, um, I want to like hold that thought because what I would argue is 
it is talking about a certain time of year, but this is like a big code that is talking about certain aspects of our life. This, these myths are not really about someone else. These myths are about you. This is, you underwent this myth. This myth is about our soul coming down into the physical body. And then what are we doing down here in this physical world? Well, at first we get all tangled up in the physical world, but we have to realize actually there's an invisible aspect or there's a spiritual aspect or there's a invisible nature and we have to start getting back in touch with that. So this whole, the, the ancient myths are talking about these profound things that actually apply to our daily life. It has to do with all kinds of things like meditating or yoga or just not uh, panicking if you're in a dangerous situation. It has to do with all these um, profound things. Like if you think of like the stereotype of a Kung Fu master in a movie, he's really in control. He's never panicking because he's this enlightened being. Well, in the myths, they there's people who are pretty well integrated with their higher self, like Odysseus is a good example of that, or King Solomon, he's really wise. And then there's examples of characters who are really completely out of touch with the spiritual world, like Samson is kind of like an unguided missile, and he's always all over the place, or King Midas, he's always making the wrong choice. So they're talking about how to become more integrated with like the the way we really want to be like with our higher self anyway that's that's a great question that you asked and i right now i'm talking about it without laying the groundwork for it a little bit but that's a little bit of a hint as to where we're going maybe is that yeah is that make sense so far so let me just show you some more evidence that i believe this myth is talking about this part of the sky and yes it lines up with a certain part of the zodiac wheel that lines up with a certain part of the year, Darren. So really good, but it's not exactly just the coming of winter. That's what the reason I started off with this myth because it's like that's what they'll tell you if you go to a comparative religion course in the university. They'll say, "Oh yeah, this is just about uh, you know not just those people were in ancient times deeply connected to the seasons, and so they were embodying that." And I would say, yes, they're talking about those things, but they're also talking about the invisible realm, not just the physical realm. So let me continue on to, because right now people are probably saying, oh, yeah, I maybe see that. Let's continue and I'll show you some more. So there's, oh, well, there's the flowers being thrown up in the air. Here's some sculpture of Hades or Pluto. Can you see those? Yep. And uh, these are from like the 1500s and the 1600s, but it's really interesting. Notice he's not carrying a trident. He's carrying this two-pronged scepter. And you can even go back to ancient Greek pottery. I use these because the trident or the scepter is a little bigger and it's easier to see that it's two-pronged. But it's different from the one that Neptune or Poseidon carries. He carries a a trident. And that's because it's based on this constellation. You can see in... Ancient India, that becomes a noose. In ancient Greece, it's a two-pronged trident. That's what he's holding. So Ophiuchus characters, once you start to learn the distinctive features of a constellation, Ophiuchus characters will, sometimes they'll be male, sometimes they'll be female. It's like these, these 
constellations are like actors, but they'll put on different um, costumes. So it's like you're watching a movie and you're like, wait a minute, I've seen that actor before. Where was she? She was in, oh, I know. Oh, she looks totally different. She's even speaking with a different accent. So the same constellation will sometimes be a male character, sometimes be a female character. But Ophiuchus will often have a spear. You can see a spear will often be a really important part of their um, description, or sometimes two spears. Like in the Iliad, Hector is sometimes described as going to battle with two spears. That's because he lines up with Ophiuchus. Um, I argue that he lines up with Ophiuchus, and there's a lot of evidence to support that. Mm. So I'll give you a, a little bit more. So this is actually from the Iliad. I don't know if this was in the Iliad movie. I would guess that it is. Darren, um, do you know what part of the Iliad this is? Uh, is dragging a corpse behind a chariot. That's when uh, Hector gets killed by Achilles. Right. So Hector gets slain by Achilles. No. Brad, Brad Pitt. Yeah. Good call. Darren's right on it. I know my Greek mythology pretty good, especially yeah. the stuff they've made movies about. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to zoom in a little bit more. So obviously this is a round, um, narrow vase. So the, the picture goes around the corner, but you can see Hector is being dragged in the dust and Achilles is riding in the chariot. It's interesting. I wanted to show you this interesting figure riding right behind Achilles. Uh, Greek scholars will tell you that this may be a depiction of the spirit of Patroclus. That was like Achilles's best friend, or some people say his lover, Either way, uh, Achilles gets angry in the Iliad. He goes and storms off and he won't fight. And so the Greeks, without their best fighter, are getting beaten back. Finally, Patroclus like puts on Achilles' armor to try and fool the Trojans into thinking Achilles is back, and, uh, and he gets killed. And when he gets killed, that's when Achilles is finally like, okay, you killed Patroclus, that's it. And he goes and starts attacking the Trojans again. Wow. So in some some... Uh, Greek scholars will tell you this is the spirit of the departed Patroclus. But let's just look at these elements of the scene. We've got horses. They're around the corner, but they're horses attached to the chariot. We've got Achilles kind of crouching here. We've got the body of Hector splayed out behind. And we've got this interesting figure. Look at his deep knee bend. Look at the way his feet are. I'll tell you, you won't hear this in any... Um, art history classes that I know of, but that is because this is depicting a celestial scene and there's a distinctive constellation that has his legs just like this, right behind a charioteer or a, a constellation that plays a charioteer. And here we go. So right above Ophiuchus is this constellation right here. You see the deep knee bend on one leg? Oh yeah, see the yeah, leg? yeah. This is the constellation. And I want to take a guess. He's the constellation carrying the most powerful weapon of any of the constellations of the sky. So this will usually play the god or the hero or the mythical figure. It sometimes plays a female figure, but often it'll play a powerful male figure, often with a square beard, because look at the head on this constellation, very square. So a square bearded hero from Greek mythology who carries a club-like powerful club, very powerful, menacing figure. Who do you think that might be? Thor? It is Thor. It is Thor. 100 points for Graham. But 
That's in Norse mythology. So <laughs> the character with the thunderbolt weapon Zeus. in Greek myth would be Zeus. So that plays Zeus. And how about a hero with the most powerful weapon? Come on, Graham, keep up here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You were right. It is Thor in the Norse myths. It's Hercules. Oh, so this right. constellation, yeah, this I knew that. But, hey, so hey, they're hey, all. Hey. <laughs> They're all related, and they're the same constellation. And in ancient India, there's the Bhagavad Gita and the Mahaparat. And you can look online. There's YouTube videos of the Mahaparat of, like the Iliad. They've done lots of full-length, like, epic um, in India portrayals of the Mahaparat. And one of the five hero brothers, the most powerful one, his name is Beam. He corresponds to Hercules. He carries this huge mace. And that's around. him too there. That's like, so that's that, that's that character, that, that star constellation you're talking about is, is representing all these m massive heroes. That's what I'm trying, that's what I'm trying to explain is that these characters, there's not that many constellations, but they'll put on different roles. They'll show up. It's as if we have, you know, 20 Hollywood actors and they have to cover all the movies that ever come out. So Keanu Reeves will always play a certain character in a certain type of a character. And uh, I don't know, Angelina Jolie will always play, you know, it's like, well, we only have these many actors and actresses, or they're all called actors, sorry. But um, we've got to make them, all the different myths will use these celestial figures because it ties into this code that, Darren was asking, well, does it tie into this part of the year? Yes, but that part of the year also represents things about our own spiritual progress, too. So anyway, not to get jump ahead of myself, that figure with winged figure dragging a, a corpse there, this corpse, this is actually Hector right here, the being dragged, I'll, I'll argue in a minute. In the Iliad, it actually says the dust comes rising up from the ground, from the hair of Hector as he's being dragged. His hair is dragging in the dust. It raises up a great cloud of dust. There's the Milky Way. Okay. Here's, where's the chariot? Let me pull it in for you. Right in front. There's, this constellation is called Boötes. You see how he's crouching down? And this is, of course, the, you guys can see it very nicely up there in the north. Orion, Big Dipper. Big Dipper. This is the Big Dipper. So this is the chariot. This is the charioteer. In many myths, we'll have a charioteer. This is his team of horses. I know it doesn't look necessarily like a team of horses, but how many horses are there? One, two, three, four. These are the reins. This is the charioteer. This is Achilles dragging Hector. He may have him. This may connect down to Hector. This is that scene of Achilles dragging Hector is depicting that part of the sky. That's why the ancient artist put this figure right here with his legs like that. So you know what constellation he's talking about. And instead of showing a big club, instead of this club can also be a wing. Okay. You can envision that club as a club or as a wing. So sometimes if you go back to Renaissance artwork, I didn't bring it, I didn't, I can pull one up for you, but go back to Renaissance artwork and look at the angel Gabriel announcing to Mary in the Annunciation. He'll always be down on one knee, deep knee bend, arching, arching wing, 
This is Mary. She'll usually have her arm out. Why? Because this is the constellation Virgo, right? Virgo, the Virgin. So you learn the distinctive features of these different constellations. Virgo has an extended arm. If you find a constellation, I mean, if you find a mythical character who's a virgin, a lot of times it's Virgo. So Persephone is a virgin, a maiden, who's being abducted in this case by Hades. He, in this case, is jumping in his chariot and with his four horses, and she's throwing her bouquet of flowers up in the air, and they're disappearing down into the underworld. That is how you can do this with all the stories in the Bible, all the myths around the world. And some, you know, you guys may be thinking, maybe Dave just has an overactive imagination. But the, the distinctive features like the two-pronged, the two-pronged spear, um, the the character with that deep knee bend, the texts themselves, the, the ancient Greek myths or the biblical scriptures themselves will include these references that point to specific constellations if you start to understand the vocabulary. So it's like they're speaking another language. It's just like Mr. Miyagi with, um, you know, I think I've talked about it in previous Grimerica visits. Wax on, wax off. It doesn't just mean wax on, wax off. It means something else. It's pointing to something in the heavens and it has a spiritual meaning. So I'll, I'll, I'll shut up and let that sink in just for a minute or, or let you guys ask questions. Cause I just gave you a huge burst of like unpacking one myth and we'll start like going around the world and, and seeing how it connects. But does any of that, so is that myth, is that myth representing a real Hercules and uh, this, you know, star sort of mythological thing? Or or, or do you think that it's actually just, they're, they're manifesting Hercules out of the stars? Right. So I do not believe that Hercules represents a literal figure who was then turned into myth huh. or that, or that there was a literal Samson you know, Samson from the Bible, yeah. what was he known for? Also great strength. I don't believe they have to be literally true in order to tell us this profound message that they're trying to tell us. But some people will get very upset about that, particularly if you start going down the road of showing how the Bible is related to all the myths. But we can get in, we can get into that. But um, all the stories of what Hercules does can be shown to match up to constellations. Hmm. So the question is, is that just, you know, is that coincidence or uh, did he, did someone really do these things and then they, you know, found stars in the sky to match up with them? I believe that the stories themselves are talking about the stars. They're portraying these heavenly cycles, which we can, they're, they're these cycles relate to to our cycles to our everything everything that we're experiencing is also in cycles so that's a great question though we can we can dive into that some more with as we go on more and more myths as you see that they're more and more connected to the stars i think it becomes harder and harder to say well someone named hercules really lived in ancient greece because we're going to find in ancient india someone who does things almost exactly like hercules yeah yeah. So did he live in Greece or did he live in India? Yeah. And then you can find it in New Zealand. There's a character in New Zealand who does things. 
Aotearoa. Is did he live in New Zealand or Aotearoa? Did he live in Greece or did or did all? I believe this is a, a universal system that's around the world that all these myths are descended. We can get into where they may have come from, but uh, that's a great question. That's a that's a good question, Graham. So let me um, let me f- finish up the story of uh, Demeter and searching for her daughter. Remember, she came and she found this youth named Triptolemus. This is Demeter and Triptolemus, and because Triptolemus gave her the clue that helped her figure out how to get her daughter back. She she rewarded Triptolemus by letting him travel around the world in this special chariot that she had with serpents. It was drawn by winged serpents. You can see it. This is an ancient Greek plate or pottery. And she gave him a jar full of seeds to go around the world and spread the seeds around the world. And she's carrying this long torch right here. You see that long torch? Mm-hmm. So... I would argue that that is the same part of the sky. Here's where we just were. Here's Hades. Here's Persephone. Here's her bouquet of flowers. Right underneath Virgo is this long constellation called Hydra, the serpent. And on its back is this little cup called Crater, the cup. And you can see all this in the night sky, not this time of year, but... It's a very long constellation. It goes so far, it starts underneath Virgo and it even goes past, this is Leo. I didn't draw in the outline, but this is Leo. Leo is coming up right now in the east um, in the morning, like at 5 a.m. If you go out at 5 a.m., you can just see Leo coming up. But Hydra stretches even past Leo. But on Hydra's back is this crater, the cup, but it looks like a little wing. I would argue this is the chariot, the serpent chariot, that uh, Persephone's mother Demeter gave. And now this little bouquet of flowers is her torch. Is this making any sense? Whoops, I'll go back here. See, here's the ancient art. Here's the serpents. Here's the winged serpents. She gives her chariot to Triptolemus. She gives him a jar of seeds. She's carrying a torch. These things refer to specific things in the sky. And in fact, I would say that the pigs that fall down into the underworld, right here, there's this constellation Centaurus. And remember how I said the yellow one. Yeah, the yellow one is Lupus the wolf. But this is Centaurus, the red figure right here. Centaurus, that's where Alpha Centauri, you've heard of like in Star Trek, sometimes they go to Alpha Centauri or whatever. Yeah. Alpha Centauri means like the brightest star in the Centaur constellation. I would argue that this, it's a wolf, but the Greeks would sometimes depict it as a pig. And I'll show you why. This is one of the labors of Hercules. You can tell this is Hercules because he's got this huge club. He's almost always going to have his legs in some kind of a, you know, one leg is going to be deeply forward. This back leg will often be in a, a lunge. But he's bringing this boar. He had to go get the this wild boar and bring it to this cowardly king. This is the king that made Hercules do his twelve labors. I won't go. I won't get too off track. But when he brings the boar, the king is so scared he goes and hides in a big jug. And Hercules brings him the boar and says, "Here's your boar," and throws it down into the jug. And there's the king in his jug. This is an ancient Greek piece of pottery. 
This is the, they're, the figures are black. So this is a black figure. This is older. This is like fifth century BC, sixth century BC. Later on, they came up with a red figure. So everything is reversed. But here's another one. Same scene, different vase. Here's Hercules. Here's the boar. Here's the cowardly king in the jug. Now let's go back to centaur. See how this, the centaur is a human coming out of the body of a horse or something. Oh, I was just going to mention that on the other one. It looked like he had horns there. Like there was a. Yes. So it could be a stag, right? Great call. We'll get in. We'll come back to that. You guys are on it. You're not saying you're listening really closely. Like, I'm not sure if you guys are going, is Dave crazy or not? Cause you're not, you're not going, whoa. No, we're you're, listening, definitely, we're listening. you're definitely, you're definitely tracking. So this looks like a person coming out of a horse, but it could also be a person hiding in a jug. See, this is the this is the pig or the boar that Hercules throws down onto the cowardly king hiding in a jug. So in one part of the 12 labors of Hercules, the king, what happened was Hercules would go on these wild fits. He accidentally killed his brother or his brother-in-law while he was in this insane fit of rage. And so the gods said, okay, Hercules or Heracles in ancient Greece, he was called Heracles in Rome. He was called Hercules because of that. You have to, we have to, you have to do some community service. We're going to make you, uh, we're going to make you talk to, what are you guys doing? <laughs> we're going to make you uh, about what happened to Hercules. Oh yeah. So he's got to, he's got to serve this king. This, and this king is like the worst, uh, like most cowardly, most mean-spirited king who was always jealous of Hercules. So he's just, this king is just super happy to put Hercules to work. And he just comes up with the tasks that he thinks will cause Hercules to be killed, like go slay the Hydra or go wrestle this lion with your bare hands. So anyway, that's in one episode when Hercules brings the, the boar whose bristles are like made out of bronze and, and you know, he'll, he'll like gore you with his tusks. The king is so scared. He hides in this jug. And I would argue that is right there. So that's the pig that Triptolemus, the Triptolemus saw his pigs go down into the underworld. That's how he was able to give the clue to Demeter as to what happened to her daughter, Persephone. Well, we see pigs rushing down into a river in the Bible. We see pigs rushing down towards Alpha Centauri, or centaur in the story of Hercules. That right there is a, a wolf. If the constellation is called the wolf, but apparently the ancient Greeks or this ancient system sometimes dressed up that wolf in the form, it played the role of a pig. And then Ptolemus later got this serpent chariot drawn by winged serpents given to him by Demeter. Here's her torch. Is this, like is this making? Wings. Yeah. So you can see it. I mean, it's like, what, what really? But the more you that I became obsessed with understanding this system um, after reading Hamlet's Mill, we could get into kind of how I came to this. But the 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 authors of Hamlet's Mill knew something was going on between the myths and the stars, but they didn't have it all worked out. They only had it worked out in a few little cases. Like they worked out when Samson uses a jawbone, they figured out which constellation was that. But some of these are very hard to see, and they're actually very hard to see unless you have the right outlines of the constellations. We can talk about that a little later, too. Well, so not only that, go- it's like all the different, uh, they all had their own sort of 
you know, they had their own names for them too. Right. Around the world, everyone's like, well, wait a minute, doesn't everyone have a different set of constellations? Yes. Well, then how are they all using the same system? I don't know. Maybe it's so ancient. It's like pre-Egypt because in ancient Egypt, they've got the myths, the Osiris and Isis myth on the sides of the pyramid texts inside these pyramids from 2500 BC. Or in ancient Babylon, they have the Gilgamesh, the tablets from, you know, scholars believe 2300, 2100 BC. And they're already using this system in those. The Gilgamesh is using this system. The Osiris is using this system. So this system predates, it was already fully mature in ancient Egypt. So this is a system from, I think, a time like Gobekli Tepe ancient, mm-hmm. like like so ancient to the Egyptians. Gobekli Tepe to dynastic Egypt was as far in front of dynastic Egypt as dynastic Egypt is in far in front of us. Yeah. So think back back how far dynastic Egypt was to us. Gobekli Tepe was that ancient to the dynastic Egypt. So this system, I believe, came from probably something way before. And now all the cultures on the earth have a memory of it and they preserved it in different formats around the world. But then something happened. Somebody got the idea that, hey, wait a minute, let's let's take the Bible and say that this is literal and not celestial. And we have to go around to all the other systems and tell them you're wrong. Stop believing what you're believing and believe what we believe. And it's, it's obviously a huge tragedy because they're all actually remembering the same system. But, but it got turned into this weapon to divide people instead of this is actually all the same system around the world. I've, I've chosen some myths from other cultures to show you that this same system is, is in, a, in action. We can see it around the world. That's why my books are like, I mean, you said they're like, a phone book or something like my most recent one star myths of the bible is or that's not my most recent but the most recent star so far i've got three in the star myth series star myths of the bible is 766 pages and and star myths of ancient greece volume two is all about ancient greece it's something like uh 600 or 630 pages or something because there's just so you could do this you could write 10 volumes on you know the myths of ancient India or a hundred volumes or even just a hundred volumes on the book of Genesis alone. So yeah, plus we're all connected, right? Like Star myths of do, the world here yeah, too, you, you which is it. another like four hundred and eighty. Yeah. Yeah, that that's volume one. Yeah. Volume one, yeah. So they, they keep getting better even after that one. <laughs> I'll send you I'll send you another one. Um but we are yeah, all connected, can, right? I mean and we all have access to I believe we have access to some higher information, whether it's the Kashuk records or whatever. I mean, you know, inventors invent things at the same time. Things happen in tandem as well. So could be just that they were, they were even more connected back then. And and all these different cultures were picking up on the same thing. That's right. I think what they're doing is what you're talking about, like these profound techniques, like getting in touch with the Akashic record. It's not something that necessarily everyone on the street knows how to do or, lucid dreaming or, you know, out of body travel. Yeah. So it's like Mr. Miyagi has to teach Daniel-san. Mr. Miyagi knows karate. He knows it 
really deeply. He can do it in his sleep if he has to. Danielson, that's like a whole alien world to him. But Mr. Miyagi has he knows that Danielson needs it. Danielson's in trouble. He's in the world. He's getting buffeted around by, you know, Johnny and his buddies. So Mr. Miyagi has to reach out for something. How can I teach this invisible body of knowledge of karate to this kid who can't see what I can see? I know. How about paint the fence? How about wax the car? And so Danielson starts doing wax the car and paint the fence. He can understand that. And after a while, he goes, hey, Mr. Miyagi, man, I'm getting beat up here. When are you going to teach me some karate? All I'm doing is being your slave. And Mr. Miyagi says, huh? you know, and, and he shows him those motions that you thought were just wax the car are connected to this whole invisible system that you didn't even know you were learning. That's what I think they're doing with these stars. Hmm. Th these myths, you're like, oh, yeah, myth, myth about Persephone. Oh, yeah, I used to love that one when I was a little kid. Oh, yeah, well, did you know it was about Hades abducting Persephone? That's kind of horrible. Oh, yeah, well, the teacher never really kind of explained that part, um, you know, about that he was, like, taking her to be his wife. I didn't really, uh, you know, we didn't get into that. Well, it's not about... It's about the invisible world. It's about like the invisible Kung Fu that Mr. Miyagi knows about that the ancients know about. They're like, Hey, there's a whole invisible realm and you can get in touch with it, but it's not easy for you to understand because you've been plunged down in this physical body and all you can really think about is physical. Mm -hmm. So let me, let me find something that connects you to the infinite realm. Hmm. What can I use? Wax the car? No. How about the infinite heavens? Cause when you're looking into the sky, you are looking into the infinite realm. It is infinite. So I'm going to use that infinite realm to teach you about the invisible realm, the realm of the gods, the realm of spirit, all those things that they're real, but you might not even believe in them right now because you're caught up in the body. That's what I think is, is kind of going on here. Nobody ever even sees the stars anymore. Yeah. Like I was thinking, we yeah. think we have a bad here and we're in Canada, which is probably like probably one of the least densely populated countries in the world. So it's got to be tough. Like there's got to be kids in parts of the States that literally never, you know, you grow up your whole life without seeing the stars. Yeah. So like California's um, got to be really like tough. you see them, see them one, one here, one there, but you don't get away from the light. Yeah. Like California's got to be brutal. Yeah. Yeah, so where I live actually is pretty sparsely populated, so I can get up into the the ridge line of mountains that separates me from the ocean. It's only like a 20-minute drive. It takes me like 30 minutes to get to the ocean, and I can see just breathtaking. Like when you climb out of your car, and it's like, there's, no, there's nothing, and it's like it takes your breath away. Yeah. But yes, that experience is so, so important, and, you know, there is light pollution that... Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that it's malignant to disconnect us from the stars, but it's definitely disconnecting us from the stars. So if you're able to get a, at least, you know, you can go to the mountains and, and go out and see the stars. But this system of outlining the constellations we can talk about will really enable you to be have a lot more success when you're out stargazing and also a lot more success in, in linking them up with the, with the, uh, the myths. Yeah. Um, and actually, I may have mentioned it before, 
Um, I have to get out of the, to jump ahead, I'd have to, let's see. And show, let me just go to like slide 80 or whatever. We're not gonna obviously get through all these, but if we go to this guy, there's how you, yeah, there's my book covers. This is who came up with this system or rediscovered this system. You recognize that author? I, I put a clue. Is that, uh, I don't know who that is. No, that, but that's <laughs> Curious George, I think, right? Yeah, so that's right. So H.A. Ray and his wife Margaret wrote the Curious George stories and illustrated them. Huh. And he, he also wrote this book, The Stars, A New Way to See Them, where he says, ah, oh, the way that they're outlining the constellations is terrible. doesn't really help you find the constellations in the night sky at all. It's really useless. I'm really frustrated, but I'm an illustrator. I love to make illustrations. I'm going to show you a better way to connect the stars. Well, I don't know if H.A. Ray was connected to some ancient tradition or if he was just inspired by the gods or something. But his, his outlines match up with those ancient Greek pottery vases. His outlines match up with the ancient Egyptian iconography. His outlines match up with um, carvings in like Sumatra. So the way he shows you to outline the constellations will help you to A, find them in night sky, A, find them in the night sky, but B, match them up with the myths and mm. artwork. So here's a here's a comparison. This is a little bit small, but if you go to like Wikipedia and look up some of these constellations, you might get some just horrendous depictions of the constellations. I just picked four and showed this is this is how you'll see them still today, even on apps and stuff on your cell phone. Can you see that at yep, all? Yeah. Yeah. And then down here is the exact same stars with a different set of outlines. So the red in this one corresponds to the same constellation. This is H.A. Ray's outline. So this is a charioteer. This is Perseus, who rescues, you guys know, Andromeda. He's the one who fights the Medusa. Right. Anyway. I, sh I should have studied up on my Greek myths. Uh, man, come on, guys. No, I'm just kidding. This, this stuff has been, um, it's like we, we learned it as kids, but we don't think that it has any application to us as adults, but it's profound. These myths, it's like, they've got all the answers. I don't have the answers. The myths have the answers. And if you, but you've got to understand their language in order to understand what they're saying, or it's better to understand their language in order to be able to hear what they're saying. Actually, um, it's really small, but right under this foot of Perseus, that's the Pleiades right there. You can always find... Perseus from the Pleiades, and you can always find the Pleiades from the foot of Perseus. See how so you were actually watching right Perseus rise. Perseus rose before the Pleiades, I guess, right? He's rising a little bit before the Pleiades, right, but right. what happens is this is this is how he looks when he's in the middle of the sky. Right, when he's right. over here in the east, he's actually lying down, so his head will be pointing to the left. Oh, right, because they, they right twist now, as well, yeah, okay. They, they rise, they go across the sky in an arc, like a rainbow, just like the sun does. The sun, you know, rises over here in the, we're looking south right here because you and I are in the northern hemisphere. For the uh, listeners in the southern hemisphere, 
they'll be looking to the north to see the, the zodiac. This is Perseus is not exactly in the zodiac, but this is Taurus right underneath. Anyway, this isn't the best image to show you all the constellations. This is just a good image to show you how terrible the conventional outlines is. That's a whale. You're going to be able to remember that and find that as a whale in the night sky? Okay. No. That's how H.A. Ray outlines it. Yes, it's a whale. That's the southern fish. It doesn't look like anything in this depiction. It looks like, You wouldn't even be able to... That's the southern fish. It's got this super bright star in its mouth. Okay. Is that, that for figures, Pisces then? This, Pisces is actually... Um, Pisces is actually, this is the great square of Pegasus, and Pisces is on either side. This is Pisces right here. This isn't the best place to show it, this particular slide, but Pisces is nearby. This star is actually brighter than any of the stars in Pisces. But this is kind of the wet region of the sky. We've got a whale. We've got Pisces. I mean, sorry, we've got the southern fish. We've got Pisces over here. Right above the southern fish is Aquarius, who's a water bearer. He pours out water. He's pouring the water right towards the southern fish. I'll show you that a little bit later. But this super bright star in the mouth of the fish is actually called Fomalhaut. It's a, it's a mouthful of a name, but it means mouth of the fish in Arabic. And in there's a, there's a biblical miracle where Jesus... Um, is going somewhere with his disciples and a, and a tax collector or a soldier says, hold on, don't, uh, don't your disciples, do, do they pay the tax or not? And Jesus says, no. Uh, does the child of the king pay the tax? A rhetorical question, but then the answer should be no, shouldn't have to. But then he says, just so that we can obey the laws, Peter, go down to the... Um, seaside there and pull out the fish first fish you catch and and take the coin out of its mouth and you can pay the tax with that and sure enough he does and that's that's the coin in the mouth of the fish right there i mean it, it shows up in different aspects in different stories around the world i could show you a picture of, of that one but um i'm kind of jumping I'll, I'll tend to jump you know <laughs> into myth after myth after myth if if, if we're not careful in your listeners will be like, wait a minute, uh, you're kind of losing me there. So let me show you one more with Hercules because, oh, no, let me show you this one. Hercules, the okay, brother so, killer. They don't tell you that part. <laughs> Brother-in-law killer. Yeah, that's not, that's the not suitable for children part. So oh, it's like we get introduced. Son of a bitch. <laughs> we get in, we get introduced to these things and we're like, oh, I love them as a child. But then sometimes we go back to them as an adult and we're like, well, oh, they're just bizarre. And I don't, they're, they're, they're off putting. They're like, wait a minute. He did what? He slept with who? What? I, that's what it's because they're connected to the stars. When we understand that they're connected to the stars, then they all make perfect sense. It's like, wait a minute. That's a clue. I have to figure out which constellation has those characteristics. Let me show you another example. So this is a goddess from ancient Greece. I'm sticking with ancient Greece here. Do you know which goddess has a bow in ancient Greece? Aphrodite? No. Uh, Close. The war Starts one. with the same letter. Yeah. No, uh, well, you're thinking of a, you're thinking of Athena. That's Athena. Is, yeah. She carries a spear. So your your other listeners are probably yelling at their screen right now with the answer. But um, this is Artemis. Oh, Artemis. Right. Jeez. Becomes. Artemis. 
Roman mythology, it's Diana. So if you meet anyone named Diane or Diana, she's named after the same goddess, Artemis. And she is holding this bow, and she's slaying this unfortunate youth named Acteon. The story is that Acteon was, he's a hunter. He got finished with a hard day of hunting, and he went for a nice wander around in the woods. He wanted to just relax, but unfortunately, he stumbled into a, a secluded little grotto where there was a a, a pool, a, you know, a river-fed pool, and Artemis was bathing in the pool with her nymphs. And it was bad for him because he saw her bathing. And the nymphs tried to get in front, you know, shield the goddess with her body so that the goddess would not be seen by the mortal. But too late, Artemis, very severe goddess. She doesn't put up with uh, crossing boundaries. She's very um, strict on um, protecting virtue and uh, particularly women. She's particularly a protector of women. So she splashes water on Acteon and says, go ahead and see if you can tell anyone that you saw the goddess Artemis bathing. And as she splashes water on him, he sprouts horns from his head and turns into a stag. And he tries to speak and he can't because a stag can't really talk. He can only make this kind of choking, bleeding sound, you know, a bleat like a sheep or a, a deer. And all of a sudden his hounds pick up the scent of this uh, big buck and they come roaring along and they start tearing him to pieces. And he finds he can't even tell them, you know, he tries to talk to his dogs but of course, they no longer listen to their master's voice, and he's torn to shreds. Wow. So this, yeah, nice. Um, that's a this rough artist, afternoon. yeah, this artist has depicted, and that's the end of Acteon. This artist has depicted Acteon in the act of being torn apart by his hounds. He didn't choose to put the horns on his head. Other artists um, put the horns coming out of his head or have him turning into a stag. But this is actually an extremely artistic. This is very high quality art. I mean, look at the shapes, look at the action that's going on. This is red figure. So this is the early part of the fifth century BC. This is a, a more advanced technique than the black figure um, because they. this is like they had to paint around everything that they wanted to leave red. So, that, so, so it's harder. But that, this way they could put nicer lines on the drawing because everything in black they put on the black is like the, the paint that they put on. So they leave what they want to be red untouched. And that way they can add more fine details. It's, but it's harder to do. So anyway. Um, so what's, what's in her bow? What's in her hand beside her bow? Is that another arrow or does that, is that some yeah, other another special? Arrow. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever seen like those speed shooting guys that'll do foop, 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 like 10 arrows at once. They actually hold them in the same. This is, she's showing like good hunting technique because she's, She's got the arrow on the same side here. This is like how you do speed shooting. Huh. But um, she also has a quiver. This is kind of important. I don't know what this is, but there's a little plume there. The artist has put a little plume there. On, on now the look quiver. at the yeah. Look at the shape of her body. Look at the length of her dress. Look at the angle of Acteon's body. He's throwing one hand up in the air. Look at the tails of the dog. And now I'm going to show you the constellations. That when I saw this, I was like. Oh, wow. This matches right up with the constellations Sagittarius and Scorpio. Can you see that? Not yet. 
Oh yeah, that's the bow. That's the bow. That's Buddy's hand. Scorpio. Oh, Scorpio's the person oh, getting wow. shot. Actually, quite a bit. Yeah. Look at the angle of her body. Look yeah. at the length of her dress. Yeah. Look at this plume. Look at this right here. This plume. Look at how she's holding the bow. Is she holding it up like full, full height to her eye? Like you know, like like this? No, she's holding it about like that. Let's go back to the. Let's go back to the stars. It's depicting it like that because that's the way it looks in the sky. This is the outlines of H.A. Ray. He doesn't actually put the multiple heads on Scorpio. I do that because a lot of times Scorpio is the hydra. Look at this plume. This is a very distinctive part of, of Sagittarius. See that plume? Yeah. It's on, the, it's on the vase. You see the angle of her feet, the length of her dress? The, now, Sagittarius will sometimes play a male figure, sometimes play a female figure. Artemis is actually a twin she has a twin brother. Do you know who her twin brother might be? Also an archer, a god, Artemis and Hermes. Good guess. <laughs> Hermes does not use a bow, so this, uh, very much. I should know this. Damn it. Artemis and Apollo. So Apollo. Artemis and Apollo, I believe, are played by the same constellation, Sagittarius. I'll stop putting you on the spot like that. Sorry. No, it's um, okay. It's I'm okay. just trying to. Okay. Trying okay. to I used to love. I used to love the the, the Greek mythology as a kid, but. Just uh, kind of out of it. Yeah. No, 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 that's all right. Um, I'm just trying to, like, this, by asking questions like that, it kind of helps audience stay awake. I, you know, no, it's, it's fine, look, yeah. Look at, the, look at the connection here. This is a black and white version of the same vase. There's Sagittarius. Look at the angle. Um, the little curving tails of the dog could be either Corona Australis or the stinger of Scorpio, but the hands being thrown up in the air. When you see... An angle like this and hands thrown up in the air. This is Scorpio and, and um, Sagittarius for sure, I would say. Um, this is the full myth. Remember, somebody, I think it was Graham, said, oh, yeah, it looks like centaur. It could look like a stag, too, right? So this could be a man with a torso of a man and the body of a horse, like a centaur. Or if you remove this green line, right, just put Imagine that green line is not there. Then it's a stag. You see the yeah. horns? Yeah, with some horns, yeah. Nice wide rack. That's Acteon turning into a stag. In this myth, she turns him into a stag. Then he gets attacked by oh, his own right. hounds. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah, look at his little dog with his little ears. Yeah, he's being attacked by his own hounds. Here's the stream where the goddess was bathing. This the Milky, Milky Way. Way. The brightest part of the Milky Way is right between Sagittarius and Scorpio, okay? And Sagittarius and Scorpio, brightest part of the Milky Way, this is also called the birth canal in like Maya, um, you know, the, the, the Maya of Central America. You know, the 2012 prophecy was all about this birth canal right here, John Major Jenkins, the late John Major Jenkins, he just passed away, um, great, great researcher, talks about how this part of the Milky Way is a birth canal. Now, Artemis, she's a virgin goddess, but she always presides over childbirth. So anytime a child is born anywhere, Artemis is there. The, the goddess Artemis is there in the invisible realm. And this is the brightest part of the Milky Way with the birth canal in it. It's also the turning point of the year. We'll get to that in a minute. But that's why Artemis, she's a virgin goddess, but she presides over childbirth. And we'll talk about because it's the virgin birth. It's the second birth. She's presiding over the spiritual birth, 
we'll get into that in just a second. But I just wanted to show in this case, I believe the Scorpio is the nymphs. They're trying to shield Artemis with her body. And you might say, wait a minute, Scorpio is a bunch of nymphs? Yes, if you read my you know 700-page books, like the Greek myths, they use over and over, there'll be a goddess bathing in a pool with the nymphs or with graces, or it'll sometimes be a maiden. Anyway, just take my word for it. These are the nymphs trying to shield Artemis from being seen by Acteon. And then she says, hey, I'm going to turn you into a stag and let your own uh, dogs hunt you down. Okay, so we'll move along. This is me with that. Uh, that's how big it is. Oh, wow. So it's a pretty large, This you can see this in Boston. This is in the Museum of Fine Art in Boston. It's been there since like the 1800s. I went there specifically to see this vase. I love that artwork so much. I had already written um, Star Myths Volume 2 when I went there. So Star Myths Volume 2, which is all about the Greek myths, uh, had, had already been published when I when I got the opportunity to go to Boston and see this, this is the a bell crater it's called cause it's kind of bell shaped, but um, very, uh, very beautiful piece of artwork. But while I was there, I came across this other vase. I didn't even know this vase existed. Um, but while I was wandering around in the museum of fine art in Boston, which is a fantastic museum, you could just spend two weeks in there and never run out of interesting things to see. Can you see what's going on? I want to, quickly run through this one. Do you see this figure here? It's a wrestling boobs? match. Yeah, oh. that's, those are those are pecs. Oh, I see. Those are big pecs on a serpent man. Is so this guy's like, is Polynesian? like a, It almost looks Polynesian or something. That's an interesting call. This is actually ancient Greece also, but this is a figure putting this guy in a headlock from behind. So you see the little skinnier arms? Yeah. This, uh, oh, yeah, the big I can arms. see him gri grip, gripping his own arm there. Yeah, yeah, he's doing he's doing a he's doing a jujitsu move right there from behind. He's got one arm under this guy's arm. Yeah. He's got one arm around his neck, and this oh, figure is Triton. Triton is like a, a man up down to his pecs, and then from here is like a mermaid. So you see this, and the guy who's wrestling him has his deep knee bend. And this leg is forward, partly obscured by Triton. Can you see that? Yeah. Or do I? I can see it. Can you see it, Grant? Yeah, I can see the deep knee bend and all. It's hard to see the hands, but now I see his hands wrapped around the the pecs there. The hands are really, really uh, small. Yeah, but they're really they're it. really outlined. Like you can really see the one hand grabbing his other wrist. Oh yeah, that's yeah. what I was just gonna, looking at. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna try and draw it in. I'm gonna try and draw it in. Oh wait. No, that's pretty. Yeah, that's it's pretty clear. I'll just draw a little bit for you guys. This is the hands of the guy who's behind, right? This is the hands of the much bigger. He's wrestling with a God. This is the sea God Triton. This is his chest. This is his body. His and then body he's turning the into back. that serpent. Right. The sea serpent is all part of this. So guy. it's almost so like the guy is choking him out, has like some feathers sticking up out of his hat there or something. Yeah, he's got a quiver right here with arrows. Oh, that's he's what that got, is. Yeah, okay. This yeah. is his leg right here. He's got a lion pelt hanging down over his leg because he's wearing a lion skin. Do you know who that could be? He's got a lion headdress over his head. Anyway, in the interest of time, I'll tell you, this is Hercules again. Hercules slays the Nemean lion and then he takes his pelt and puts it on. 
But see that deep knee bend? Yeah. Deep knee bend. Tracking with me? What, yeah, Big tail. What, is, 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 the, is the dragon eating him? Is that his mouth uh, no. on the top there? No, no. It's not a dragon. This is his tail. This is the flukes of his tail. Oh, yeah, so he's, okay, like okay. A mer- he's like a mermaid. Oh, I see you it know? now. Okay, yeah, I got it. He's a mermaid, but, uh, but he's a male. He, so that's his pecs. That's his big arms because he's a god. This is the god Triton, and he's being wrestled by Hercules or Heracles. I'll tell you, the story is, just real quick, I know it's already, time is moving fast here, but Heracles, for one of his labors, had to go get the apples, these golden apples of the Hesperides. And to find out where they were, he had to go wrestle, he had to ask the sea god, Triton, or sometimes he's called Nereus, sometimes he's called Proteus. And the sea god won't tell him. So Heracles wrestles him. And while he's wrestling him, the sea god, Proteus or Triton, keeps changing his shape, shape-shifting, shape-shifting, and shape-shifting. Finally, Her- Heracles just keeps holding on, and the god tells him, okay, here's how you go get to the apples of the Hesperides. Well, I will tell you that that myth comes from the stars. There's Heracles or Hercules again in the sky. I'll just I'll, I'll move kind of fast. You can see the deep knee bend? Yeah. Hopefully it's big, hopefully and, big enough and- for your... And bit forward again, so then that other guy's going to be tangled up in there. Yeah, so he's tangled around. So who's he wrestling with? Well, right underneath Hercules in the sky, we already saw it. It's the same constellation that plays the god of the underworld, Ophiuchus. Ophiuchus means the serpent handler. Now, if you can look along the top edge of Ophiuchus, you see this up and down undulating pattern? I'm going to draw it in for you. That's the guy that he's wrestling. He's wrestling Triton. Oh, I Hercules. see. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. He's directly above. See this shape of the merman? He's a mermaid or a merman. He's got the, this is his fluked tail, like the flukes of a whale. You yeah, know? It's like follow the white line almost, kind of. Yes. There you go. That is referring us to the constellation Ophiuchus. You see that he's wearing a crown? Triton is wearing a crown? Yeah. Like okay, let's, let's go back to the stars. Hercules, Ophiuchus. Hercules is wrestling. He wrestles different constellations, but usually ones that are nearby him. Now he's this one. He's wrestling Ophiuchus. So he's wrestling Ophiuchus. There's the. Now there's the crown. See, you might say, wait a minute, that that shape. Okay, I give you that. It kind of looks like that man in the artwork. But aren't you reaching a little bit? No, because they put a crown in the picture, and there's the northern crown, Corona. Borealis, you know, Corona the beer is named after Corona the crown. There's the crown on that end, on the head end. This is the head of the serpent of Ophiuchus. Are you tracking? Yep. Now, now we need to find those big tail flukes. Well, in the Milky Way are two big birds, gigantic birds, Cygnus the swan and Aquila the eagle. And I would argue that Aquila plays the role of those tail flukes the tail of the serpent. So here's, he's wrestling with Triton, the head of Triton on the crown, the tail of Triton with the flukes. Let's go back to the jar. There's the tail. There's the head with the crown. There's Hercules in his distinctive posture. Yeah, yeah. Stars. Bent leg and the other one bent forward. And the other leg in behind, like in behind there, the the bent forward in behind. Hercules, you can see the foot coming down, right? 
Yeah, and you can see this around the world. You can see this in ancient India. There's a god named Hanuman who is a monkey god. He has the same, he has a square-shaped head with like a beard. It's usually a figure with a big beard, like Zeus um, or Thor, right? And you'll see them depicted in this posture in ancient artwork. So it matches up around the world. So this is where I get into what could they be talking about. And I believe it's talking about all the things that, you know, you guys are interested in or that you're, you're, you guys are seeking, you know, and you're, you're exploring these things. It's all in the myths. They're talking about there's an invisible realm. There's a you're not just physical matter. There's a, you have these myths are actually about us. They're not just about the. You know, some guy named Hercules or Heracles who went around and wrestled these things. When he's wrestling this thing that changes shape, that's like us wrestling. We go through all these different shapes in our in our own life. It's like, well, now you're shaped like this because you're an adult and you were shaped like this. Or if you believe in reincarnation, it's like you we're we're down here, we're like wrestling. <laughs> and it's constantly changing its shape. That's what the, the wrestling that Hercules is doing is not just literal wrestling. It represents the soul's journey. That's what I'll show you my, uh, I'll switch over to my um, real quick. And let me know when we're getting close on time, but the stars themselves, are you seeing my uh, constellations? Yep. Oh, no constellations right now, just stars. Stars, that's fine. The, the constellations are in there very faintly, but I haven't outlined them. I'm just going to show you the motion of the stars oh, in yeah, the sky. Yeah. Just, I'll just give you a little, instead Did, of just still getting images. sucked Oops. into the underworld? Yeah, that's what's happening. Good. See, Darren, Darren actually knows all the ancient wisdom. Throwing he's just, pigs down. He's letting me explain it, but he already understands it all. So here, we're looking to the south. So what direction will the sun rise from the east and it'll set in the west? There's the sun setting in the west. So I'm just going to move the stars along. I'll move them a little slower. Can you see the stars moving at all on your screen? Yep. All right. So what happens is as we're, as we're rotating on our axis, the sky is, appears to be moving Everything in the sky appears to be moving from the east to the west because we're rotating towards the east. That's why it's an hour ahead. You guys are an hour ahead of me because you're further east than me. You know, on the east coast, it's three hours ahead of us here in California. Here comes the sun coming up in the uh, right now. It's constellation in Virgo, but it's rising in the east. It's sailing through the sky, the upper realm. But eventually, I'm going to just speed things up here. Whoops, going too fast. But eventually, there goes the sun. Whoa, it rises in the east. It courses across the sky. It sets in the west. I believe what it's doing is depicting our journey. Okay, and when it sinks down into the west, what do you think that represents? Bedtime. Bedtime, right? It's look. It's sailing through the. It's sailing through the. If you if it if it's life or death, do you think it's death? Represent 
It's in the underworld. That's what you would think. You would think that it represents death because it's plunging down into the underworld. But I would argue that that is representing plunging down into, and I got this from somebody else, a, a researcher named Alvin Boyd Kuhn argues, when the sun or the stars, look, right now it's, you see where it is? It's above the horizon. It's traveling through the upper elements of air and fire. But now it's going to come into contact with the lower elements. It's going to sink down into earth and water. Like if I'm looking out into the West, I see the sun and the stars sink down into the lower elements of earth and water. That represents, or that may be used to represent, you've got a spiritual nature or a divine spark, but it gets plunged down into a physical body that's made of clay, right? A lot of myths like Adam and Eve are made out of clay or Prometheus makes humanity out of clay or Adam's made out of clay and then Eve is taken out of his side. That relates to a constellation as well. When we plunge, the, the, the fire is the spiritual part. So when they're coursing across the sky, that represents the spiritual realm plunging down. And when we look off into the heavens, we're looking into the infinite realm. But right now we're running around in a body. We're in the material realm. We've manifested out of the we've manifested out of the invisible realm and taken on a physical form for a time. But then after we're done plowing through the physical realm, we're going to pop back up into the spiritual realm or, or you see what I mean? Yep. Am I losing nope. the metaphor? Is there the any metaphor, way to draw those constellations in a little darker or highlight them at all? Yeah, on the other computer. Um, sorry, not on this one. Because I think uh, I can no, see there's, the there's crown. There. I can, is that, that's going to be the flowers right up there, right? That's like it, straight that's up right. from your cursor? That's right, right there. Can you see my cursor? Yeah. I don't know how so that's the flowers, the and then if you go over a couple of inches there, that's like the serpent again, right? That's the serpent, right? So see, if you if you read that H A Ray, then you'll start seeing this in the night sky. If so you can you flip from there to the picture you have that's outlined again? Yeah, absolutely. So, oops, take me just one second. Stop sharing that one. Go over to sharing the PowerPoint and. We'll find it right. It's it's funny how the, you can tell how they would have found the difference between plants and stars, right? They would have followed the stars all the way around, all the way around, all the way around, like that pattern, and then all of a sudden something. Yeah, because the Bible know, lays, out, that, right? lays out the way that they go through the zodiacs, right? It's cool. Yeah, there That's it right. is. That's right. That's just what I was getting to, is, is what does this all mean? So let me just... Um, continue forward because Sagittarius, this gets to Darren's question of, is this about that part of the year? So let me just catch up. Here's the chakras raising. This is like raising. We, we plunge down into this physical world, but we're supposed to be getting in touch with, wait a minute, you actually have a divine spark or you have, you've got, you are, what these stars are doing is explaining what you're going through. Okay. And this is the Zodiac wheel. Can you, is it, has it popped up on your screen? Yep. 
That's the Zodiac wheel. And I've put a line across the middle. Those are the two equinoxes with a red X. That's the crossing point for the two crossing points of the year when hours of daylight in the upper half of this wheel, hours of daylight are longer than hours of nighttime or darkness. In the lower half of this wheel, hours of darkness are longer than hours of daylight. Well, we just crossed the September equinox. So here in the Northern Hemisphere, hours of darkness are now longer than hours of daylight. At the equinoxes, they're roughly equal, right? Yeah, pretty so, close. So this wheel, we're going clockwise. These are the zodiac signs. This is like from the 1500s, this wheel. But the zodiac signs tell us where we are on that wheel because it's actually what it's reflecting is, oh, and so the horizontal line is the equinoxes. This divides the upper half of the year when days are longer from the lower half of the year when days are shorter. This is the solstice lines. The winter solstice is the very shortest day of the year. The summer solstice up top, that's the longest day of the year. So that's in between these constellations in the myths. So the different constellations, they don't just tell us different parts of the year. They're telling us different parts of the soul's journey. The soul's journey from the upper realms down into the lower realms. We're crossing the lower crossing right now. We're plowing through. I think you just had a guest who was talking about water mythology, right? No, that was uh, that? no, that was Greg at THC. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. sorry yeah. about that. Okay, you son Listen of a to... bitch. <laughs> what? I thought you no, it was fascinating. Just they're going through all the. They're going through all the elements. We're going through the lower realms right now. That's why. So, so is much that mythology. does that tie into the great year? Yes, it ties into the great year. That's the processional cycle. So let's. Um, so what happens is the great year is this whole thing is also shifting. So, so all these cycles, there's cycles within cycles. There's the cycle of the motion of the night. Like when I said, hey, what do you think that means? The star's going down. Yeah. Darren said bedtime. Well, yeah, on the daily cycle, that's the hours of nighttime. But also the annual cycle, there's an annual cycle of the stars. There's stars that appear during certain parts of the year. Mm. And they're moving. the harvest and that's, things like that. Right. And then there's the lunar cycle is going on. And then we have even longer cycles. The We have like the cycle of the moon going up and down across the, um, it's, or it's rising and setting points. That's a sothic cycle. That's even longer. That's like an 18 year cycle. And then we have like the cycles of Saturn, 30 years. And then the great year that you asked about, that's the processional cycle. That's 25,000, almost 26,000 years at the current rate. We could talk about what precession is, but that relates to 72. It moves one degree every 72 years. So that's why that number 72 is so important. And that number 72 shows up in the myth of Osiris and his brother Set. And it relates to the equinox. Darren asked if I could specifically talk about the equinox. So, um, but let me just, uh, so there's all those cycles are used by the myths to talk about, to illustrate profound truths about our own experience in this, our own cycle of going through incarnations or our own cycle of in this life. It's like we start off, let, let me, uh, we start off here 
This is where we plunge over. Can you see my little arrow? Yep. At the, it's at the three o'clock position. That's the, the September equinox or the fall equinox. That's where we cross out of the upper half of the year and we plunge down into the lower half of the year. That represents like incarnation, the first birth. That's when we come into our body. And now we're like separated from the spiritual realm, but we keep plunging further and further down. But there comes a turning point at some point at the solstice. That's like where that's the lowest point. Then things start moving back upwards. That represents the second birth. That's when we start getting in touch with, wait a minute, there's something more to just chasing around members of the opposite sex and getting into fights and being like dog eat dog world. There's actually, I've got a spiritual side and you're supposed to start elevating that. Some mythical figures never really do. Like Samson, he's always just kind of like letting his passions run away with him. But if you read like the Bhagavad Gita, it talks about, well, why do we meditate? It's so that you're, you get your horses under control and you let your higher self become the charioteer. Hmm. And that starts to, that turning point happens right down here at the darkest point. And that's right where Sagittarius is. This is Sagittarius on this diagram. That's right at Christmas. And that's why the goddess Artemis, who's a virgin goddess, presides over all birth because she's the goddess of the second birth. She's, she's slaying Acteon because She's saying, look, don't just get, don't just be, you know, a hunter running around with your dogs, pursuing things like an, like another member of the pack. You got to start waking up to your higher self. That's what I believe these myths are actually embodying. And, and once you start to learn what part of the cycle, the myths are talking about, you can see the lessons that they're trying to tell you. This is, it's caused by the earth going around the sun that's why the sun rises in a different constellation. As we go around, that line is going to move through. Oh, that's a good one. And that's why the days get shorter because of this tilt. As we're tilted most away from the sun, the days are the shortest in the northern hemisphere. Obviously, the lower, the southern pole is tilted most towards the sun. So these crossing points... Anyway, I won't get too into this diagram, but that's showing what's going on in the heavens. But that those cycles, I believe this ancient culture, whatever ancient predecessors to all of us, use these cycles to teach these profound spiritual truths and match them up with myths. And all around the world, we still have echoes of those. And... In many traditional cultures, they still understand what they mean, I think. But what happened was it got turned into literal. Wait a minute. No, Samson is a real literal person. And if you say that he was just a constellation, I'm going to have to, uh, you know, burn you at the stake because that's heresy. Through institutionalized religion, it got turned into a literal translation, really. Right. And maybe it wasn't, you know, I think... It, if that ancient civilization in Gobekli Tepe time was wiped out by some sort of catastrophe, like Robert Schock and Graham Hancock are talking about, whether it was a comet or a sun solar flare, then maybe the system itself was only dimly remembered by some remnants that went underground. And so they taught the system as best they could. But over time, maybe people just forgot it or 
some people stamped it out. They wanted to keep it to themselves, you know, like karate or Kung Fu. It's like Mr. Miyagi. Uh, if, if you wanted to take over the village, you wouldn't want Mr. Miyagi going around and teaching people how to defend themselves. So you would say, Oh, hold on. Those teachings are only about waxing the car. They are not about anything that you can do to elevate your spirit and become more, uh, you know, get in touch with the invisible world and have, uh, out of body experiences or shamanic, all the, all the religions, all the scriptures and myths of the world are actually giving. Oh, you're breaking up there a sec. Hello. You back? I'm still here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. You're back. Oh yeah. Sorry. So, so what about these old cultures like Gobekli Tepe and they even, you know, how the Moais on Easter Island were buried, buried quite a ways. So would studying this, this type of thing from give them a hint of some upcoming disaster? Like, I wonder if that was part of how they knew to, to like cover everything up before the, that's a, before the end of the ice age, really. That's a great question. Um, I think that these myths, so we've got this archaeological evidence around the world that people like Robert Schock and John Anthony West and Graham Hancock and many, many others uh, are exploring. Carmen Butler. Check out all our past episodes. Yeah, Patricia Allian and all these people are looking at the physical archaeological evidence and saying, look at this, culture of high sophistication, spiritually, obviously very sophisticated. Or uh, look at the temples and, and pyramids in Central America. Look at these alignments. Look at this. Uh, it's doing something. What's it doing? I can't quite tell. Teotihuacan, Tiwanaku. I believe that the myths are also like an additional body of evidence that speaks to something very ancient, very spiritually sophisticated. And wherever its remnants are, great spiritually sophisticated like look at how many people from european cultures are have been turning you know in the last hundred years towards oh i need to go to india and study the the uh you know the vedas or i want to tap into the native american tradition because it's so much more spiritually speaks to me that's because in some places this ancient wisdom didn't get stamped out to the same degree yeah. that I think it got stamped out. Like it got stamped out in Europe, like deliberately stamped out when literalist Christianity went around and started saying, no, this is the only way you can understand this. So anyway, well, and it's still I being stamped it, out by science too. I mean, it didn't, it didn't stop. It's still, you know, there's still, right. a, there's still a, a boycott That's against right. uh, ancient spiritual traditions in a lot of ways. That's right. Maybe when they said, look, people aren't believing the literal Bible story anymore. We've got to use something else. Okay. Yeah. Look, whatever you do, just don't admit there's a spirit realm. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing but, greater. But, so, but to your to your earlier question, I think this in conjunction with this is yet another like archaeological remnant. The myths of the world are pointing to the same um, facts that Graham Hancock and, and, you know, Randall Carlson and, and Robert Schock, who are going around and looking at the archaeological and saying, look, ancient knowledge somehow being preserved. The myths are also another example of that, that, that like they work together. Hmm. 
So would that give them a like? Would there be if there's if you're studying the procession and the the stars and the constellations and all this stuff way back when, like twelve, fifteen thousand years ago? You think there'd be would there be something? Would you be able to see something happening and track it and maybe know that? Like, what if they could track that cometary impact? Like every spring and fall, like these guys are surmising that there's the uh, what was the the torrid meteor shower? Torrid meteor like, shower. What if right. they were watching all this, and that plays into this myth somehow, and they could actually see that it's coming closer and closer, and that like in a couple years or a couple hundred years or whatever, like we're gonna get hit. Yeah, I don't know. That is definitely that is definitely possible. That's not what I'm really investigating because right, that's right. almost like that's almost like a literal that's like saying well they're looking they're making this myth because of something that's literally happening with comets i believe that what they're using these myths for is to talk about the spirit world look the gods are real okay right. but they are hard for us to understand because they're dwelling in the invisible realm but there is a force or a power in that invisible realm that corresponds to Zeus, or that corresponds to the god of the underworld. And his characteristics are the same around the world. And so you need to understand this aspect of this god or this goddess, because you're going to need to integrate those. You're going to need, you're going to, need to become attuned to that spirit world in order to continue to elevate, like elevating the chakras, but in order to, to do the things that you're supposed to be doing here in the world, you're supposed to be becoming attuned to the spiritual world. So like I talk about like Odysseus in the Odyssey, he is a great example of someone who's able to listen to the gods. Athena is the one who's usually helping him, but she helps him. He has to do the work. She's telling him, hey, when you get to this island, here's what's going to happen Make sure you do this. Make sure you don't do this. But he's the one who has to do it. So it's like the the invisible realm. You've got to listen to it, but you've got to. It's like we're supposed to be um, manifesting, or they they do the work through us, or the things that we're you know we're supposed to be doing. Uh, it may, may be getting a little. It's hard to. It's easier for me to really write it, but it's like they're acting. Okay. It's like this. Right, let me jump ahead. because I know we're running close on time, but it's like, um, oh, wait, Ooh, there's my squatty potty. Yeah. <laughs> I was, <laughs> is it the real squatty potty? I don't know. I just put it in there. That's I just a, thought it was squatty potty. This isn't an ad for squatty potty. <laughs> I was going to throw a commercial in there. We're like almost at the end. Um, let me, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. on. how do I, how do I get out of this? <laughs> how do I get to, uh, I was at this really, uh, really esoteric idea. Okay. And just this... for people that know, know that if you're short, you can get a nine inch squatty potty. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to throw that joke in there because it's like, we're in this physical body. Like all the stuff that's funny is about our physical body. It's like we're in this physical body and it's kind of funny because we're actually both spiritual and physical. But when we really want to put someone down or we really want to, if you think of most of the curse words and swear words, they have to do with a physical body. Like 
oh, you know, you asshole or whatever. It's See trying you next to re- Tuesday. Yeah. It's like reducing someone to just their physical form. That's what racism is or sexism. It's just, it's trying, that's cursing. That's lowering someone to just their body. And what the ancient myths are about is we're actually supposed to be getting in touch with our higher self and elevating. And we're supposed to realize that every single person we meet, they're not just their body. They're actually an infinite person. They're an infinite soul in there. And if you just reduce them to the body, you're, you're following the wrong path. And that's not what the, the ancient myths are talking about. We're supposed to be elevating. So this is from the Bhagavad Gita. But in the Bhagavad Gita, um, Arjun is, he's getting ready to go into this big battle and he gets very um, cold feet or he just doesn't want to participate. And he says, I'm just going to sit this one out. I don't care if they kill me. I can't go into this battle. And Krishna, who's a god, his divine charioteer, you can see he's holding the reins of the horses, (laughs) says, hold on, Arjun, hold on, let's have let me drive out into the middle of the battlefield and let me just explain something to you. You have to go into this battle. I believe the battle is this incarnate life. And Arjun is like, I don't want to go be in a body. And, and Krishna says, listen, you have to wrestle with it. Like Hercules wrestling with Triton. You have to go through that cycle. And while you're there, you're supposed to do what's right without attachment. And the picture, it's the same constellations that we've been looking at all the way through in, uh, in the Bhagavad Gita, the, the banner that's over the chariot is this monkey God, Hanuman. Here's the divine charioteer, Krishna. Krishna is often playing a flute. They, they ride around in these chariots that are shaped like this. They actually have this kind of like canopy over them. Here's a picture of the Bhagavad Gita. So here's the divine charioteer, Krishna, Here's Arjun. Here's those canopy-shaped war chariots that they're always riding around in. So would the wheels be like the serpent? Uh, yeah, I think actually, and they're just imagining the bottom of the cart are the wheels. These stars, I think, are the wheels. Oh, so they don't do the it's, correlation like Hercules does where they draw the snake out of that. Yeah. No, yeah, so right now, the Ophiuchus is not playing the role of the snake. It's playing the role of this war cart. See, this is Ophiuchus, this whole thing. See yeah. how they have a little, they have a roof over it, just like. So that Ophiuchus flag is like the noose? That, no, that flag is actually Hanuman. So it's hard to see, but there's a god. This, oh, they have a, that was sitting on top actually, of the pole. Yeah, he has a long tail. And he actually, this god Hanuman carries a mace, which is a dead giveaway that it's Hercules again. So this Hercules is very big in this in the sky, but that's the monkey tail. Instead of being his leg, now it becomes the tail of the monkey. This is Hanuman with his mace. This is the god Hanuman on top of the war cart. Does that make sense? Yeah. And here we have divine charioteer. And the Krishna. big dipper is like the horses. Right. And so that actual, that depiction is actually to teach us, this is, there's other ancient um, Sanskrit writings like the Upanishads that say, listen, when you're meditating, what you're doing is you're getting the senses and the body 
under control. And even your mind, even your mind will wander around when you're trying to meditate. And how do you get over that? You have to start getting in touch with the divine higher self, Krishna. He's the one who should be holding the reins. You see Arjun here. He's a semi-divine hero. That's us. We're part mortal. We're part we're part flesh. We're part spirit. But if you can give the reins over to your higher self or the God or the divine self, then that is how you get your mind and your senses under control. And the only way to do that is through disciplines like meditation or Tai Chi or yoga, or there's, there's all kinds of them around the world. Um, shamanic practices, getting in touch with entheogens or psilocybin mushrooms, you are getting in touch with your higher self, or that's what those things are designed to do, or that's one of the things that they can do for you. Does that? Yeah, that resonates. Yep. So that, that. (laughs) So do you think, do you think that's like part of the program or is that just kind of the way we've interpreted interpreted it into our spiritual culture? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think that you can see this kind of message like over and over in the, it's like in the Native American traditions, you go out on a vision quest or like you go out to walk about. Yeah. Like, like crazy horse. Um, he saw a vision of a horse that, that was floating above the ground he went on his vision quest, and that's how he got his name. He was getting in touch with his higher self. Nobody knows everything that he – he wouldn't say everything that happened to him when he had that vision. But he had to go out there, and he had to fast, and he, he was like 13 years old, and he had that vision. And, and he's getting in touch with his higher self. I think every tradition has this teaching, but they might teach it in a slightly different way. Like in the story of – uh, the Bible, there's doubting Thomas who has to put his finger in the wounds that Jesus has received. This is the the lower self getting in touch with the higher self as well. This is uh, like, let me know if we've only got like two minutes left, but the, the same, the no, same you got like 10, 10, 15. Okay, right on. So so Arjun has to get in touch with his higher self. He has to he has to trust his higher self. He is doubting before the battle. Arjun is like a picture of doubt. He sits down on the ground and says, "I think I'll just sit here. I don't want to get involved in this battle." And Krishna says, "Hey, you have to, but trust in me. You've got a divine charioteer." In the story of doubting Thomas, it's the same thing. Thomas, the risen Christ, has appeared to all the other disciples, but Thomas isn't there. And when they come to him, he says, they say, hey, we saw it. the Lord has risen again. And Thomas says, no, I won't believe it until I put my finger in the wounds, until I feel the, his side and touch his hands. And when he comes to Jesus... Jesus doesn't say, oh, Thomas, you know, you can't be my disciple because you didn't believe on faith. He says, no, come here and come here and feel. 
And Thomas is actually called Didymus in the scriptures, which means the twin. And nowhere in the scriptures does it say who his twin is, but in some of the texts, the Gnostic scriptures that were not included in the Bible, Jesus calls Thomas my twin. Thomas and Jesus are twins, but one's the divine twin and one is the mortal twin or the doubting twin. So we have a doubting self. Like if you're always doubting in a a basketball game or a hockey game, right before you take a shot on the goal, if you go, Hmm, can I make that shot? I don't know. Can I don't know. Uh, you'll never make it. You've got to get in touch with your like higher self. It's like Daniel son. He, Mr. Miyagi doesn't explain it to him. He just says, Daniel son do wax on wax off and boom, in comes the punch and he just stops it. That's like one example of what being it's like in getting the zone. in yeah, and the flow being in the zone. Yeah. And so your doubting self, we all have a doubting self. We all have a Thomas self. We probably know our Thomas self only too well. Is that bad? No, we have to have a doubting self. If I drive away from the house, this is an example I use, and I'm not sure if I turned off the burner when I made scrambled eggs in the morning and I'm doubting, maybe I should go back and check because I might burn down the house. So it's like we have to have our lower self. We have to have a critical mind that, 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 that you know, learns mathematics or learns the angles of the shot. But later, after you've learned the angles of the shot, whether it's a three-point shot in basketball or a, a slap shot in hockey or whatever, I'm not a hockey player, but after you've learned those angles, or, or Mr. Miyagi, after you've learned those angles that he taught Danielson, then you've got to get to the point where you let the higher self take over. And if in the game you're still using your Thomas self, you're not going to make any shots. Or every time your Thomas self jumps in right before you take the shot and you doubt, you'll probably miss that shot. That's just an example from sports. But I think that's what these things are talking about. And they, they're, it's not just sports. It's like getting in touch with your, you know, the invisible realm and even, you know, shamanic drumming. You can get messages from your higher self or from the spirit world, just like in the Odyssey, Odysseus is able to get messages from Athena or from Hermes. Hermes helps him out when he's in a jam and he's about to go face Circe, who turns everybody into animals. Hermes stops him on the way and says, hold on, Odysseus, you're about to mess up. Let me help you out. Here's what you need. And, and, and so it's like getting through life requires that. That's what I think they're saying. This is yeah. my interpretation. Yeah, and it this makes my... sense even over and above sports, like just socially even, just not doubting yourself in all kinds of different ways, not just art and sports, but, you know, writing, speaking. Right, or writing music. You know, I mean, how many artists say, oh, yeah, we wrote our best songs while we were smoking ganja or, you know, the herb. What 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 they're doing is there's all these techniques around the world. The, the techniques are countless how to get in touch with your higher self. There are so many techniques. It could be breathing. It could be uh, Tantra. It could be yoga. It could be Tai Chi. It could be martial arts. It could be meditation. It could be all these different disciplines that are around the world. Um, But I believe this is what they're talking about. And because we can match the stars up with the myths, 
then that helps to illuminate what part of that journey they're talking about, what part of the wheel they're talking about. So Thomas lines up with Capricorn. You may not be able to see it, but Thomas, the, the goat of Capricorn, is way down here. Oh, I moved my mouse. Sorry. Way down here at the bottom of the wheel. Sagittarius is right before the rebirth. Capricorn is right after that, that lowest point. Okay. Yeah. The lowest point. Capricorn is right there. So you can't doubt. <laughs> Doubting Thomas is like an illustration of, hey, once you start to realize the higher self, you get down to that lowest point, there's a turning point there. That's your second birth. That's where you're starting to get in touch with your higher self, your Christ within. In some of the, you know, uh, biblical, they talk about it's not an external Christ, it's a higher self. It's your Christ within. But you can't turn back. Once you get there, you've got to start to uh, let go of some of those doubts. So anyway, let me show you how well this lines up. Look at, this is a Renaissance painting. These hand gestures, somebody understood this system in the Renaissance and in, in, in ancient artwork, because look at the hand gestures. See how Jesus is holding his hand downward and Thomas has his fingers pointing out right here. He's always doing show like it. the West side. Yeah, look at this. This is the goat. This is one hand. One hand is pointing his fingers and making the horns. One hand is pointing down and making the Capricorn in the sky. When you learn to see it is two triangles like this. This is how H.A. Ray outlines it. This is if we could just zoom right in on this is the outline of the goat. Actually, it goes all the way over here. I should, I should erase that line. Here's the horns. Here's the first triangle. Jesus puts his head there. The second triangle is right here. It goes all the way up to here. Can you see that? And this woman right here, that's one of the two Marys, is making the tail of the goat right there. I'll go back. The goat has two triangles and a little bobtail. You see that? Yep. You see it on the green outline? Two triangles, a smaller one and a larger one, and a little bobtail. This Renaissance artist has put in, I'm going to make the pen color green, the horns of the goat, the first triangle, the second triangle right here, and the little bobtail right there. Can you see that? There's the horns. Thomas lines up with the goat. You see the horns? Yep. Horn, horns over here. Horns. These little hand gestures, like Leonardo da Vinci did this all the time in like the Last Supper. They line up with celestial constellations. All these different, these figures, he's telling you, this is not literal. This is the sun moving through the constellations. This is your higher self that you're supposed to be getting in touch with. This is about you. These myths are all true, but they're actually, you're the star of the myths. So this is Capricorn. There's the two triangles. Now it's in blue. Can you see that? Yep. He's looking towards the leg of Aquarius. Okay. This is that southern fish that we talked about before that Aquarius was on top of. Here's Pisces over here, Darren. You asked, is that southern fish? It's near Pisces, but it's not the same. 
In this Last Supper scene, Jesus lines up with Aquarius. That's why he goes around and bathes everybody's feet, okay? He's Aquarius, he's, he's, he's doing the act of foot washing. When Thomas later on doubts that Jesus has risen or that the risen Christ has risen, he has to put his hand in the side wound. You see this leg that Capricorn is looking right towards? Yep. Aquarius looks like he's running. You see this leg could also be envisioned as a spear going into his side, right? Oh, and then that would be his other legs over there, yeah. Yeah, so instead of being a leg, this could be a spear wound in the side, and Capricorn is looking right at it. That's why Thomas has to feel the spear wound in the side. And in all these ancient artwork, the triangular, the triangles are present. Jesus will put his hand over him. There's the other, and there's the horns of the goat. He's got to feel, he's got to point towards the side wound. Does that make sense? Well, that's coming the other way now, though. Yeah, so sometimes the artist will take artistic license and reverse it. Flip it around. But so his finger's the is, horn. Yes, his finger's the horn. Jesus puts his hand over his arm to make that. See, Jesus puts his fingers downward like that. Why? Because he's telling you, the artist is telling you, I know that this is Capricorn. That is his hand. Then they give you the bigger triangle with the elbow and a little bob tail. And here's a different, but we could go through hundreds of pictures of- So they basically knew at the time that it was all allegory. So, somebody knew. I don't know if the artist knew. You know, in those days to be an artist, you had to make it through all these levels. It was like becoming a Kung Fu master or something in art. And so they told you, this is how you depict Mary. This is how you depict the angel Gabriel, always with these. You can use your artistic license, but you have to have these elements. I think that may have been going on to where the artist himself, himself or herself, might not have even known. The reason you're doing this is because it matches up with the stars, but somebody knew this system. Yeah, this it, could system be, it could be like a lot of these deep synchronicities lately through art and culture. It could just happen. There could be something bigger at work that we don't even understand we are down to about too. five minutes so we should probably wrap it up right on that's not bad yes. like two hours and 15 minutes just fucking Already, flew yeah. by wow yeah i'm sorry if i didn't give you guys enough chance to ask questions so here we are at the end with like 15 minutes to go so you're you're throwing out some really good things like maybe this is all synchronicity i mean maybe it is it's from the gods um but are there like some questions or from the spirit realm if you're uncomfortable with the term, the gods or, you know, the myths call them different things in different cultures, but I think they're kind of talking about the same truths, but the truths are from the invisible realm. So they have to put some clothing on them so that we can see them. It's like if the invisible, if we had a convention of the invisible man and invisible women, and there's 20 invisible men and invisible women in the room with us, and we can't see them, we'd be like, hey, can you put on some clothes so we could see the outline. That's what I think the myths are doing. They're showing us, we can't see the invisible realm, but they can show it to us by putting clothing on it. And the clothing they put on it is the stories. And we're not supposed to just take, 
We're not supposed to stop at the clothing. We're supposed to start to understand the invisible realm that's underneath. And that can have like profound impact on our lives. So I'll stop talking because I've been going, I, I feel bad that I haven't let you guys get a, too many words in edgewise. Although when you did ask questions, they were like right on target. So since we've got some time, like what stuff isn't clear or is a little confusing. It's kind of whirlwind. Well, I know. I mean, we, we could have, you know, jumped in and asked uh, questions. We just wanted to let you get that, you know, all your stuff out. I mean, I think it's important to touch on what you're going to be up to next for the next little while. I mean, we've got a pretty big book here and you've come up with another couple, couple copies. I mean, I think we should give you a chance to, to talk about what's next for you. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Hey, so, Darren, or do you have anything? Yeah, Darren? No, that's like, good. I mean, and I mean, I definitely want people to go to, uh, to check out the books and to check out your, your, uh, the Matheson Corollary blogger page there. We'll definitely link yeah, to that in the so show notes because everything's there. there and it's a lot easier to digest when you can kind of read it and look at the pictures and, and, uh, all that stuff, but it's pretty, pretty great stuff. But this has been really mind opening for me compared to doing it audio only because some of those things, especially the chariot, the chariot one, there's a couple there or the lady with the bow, like that was really just looks like it's right from the, from the constellation that's pretty cool. right i was i was really excited so to do one that's visual so you guys are the first ones who's ever actually managed to make it happen with visual nice. and i i was really excited because i think you can really see it and it really is visual so i am um i'm actually going to be doing some classes where people can sign up the first one is actually this saturday so oh. people who are listening live i'm doing one just on the bible it's a three-hour web conference. Um, that's thirty-six U.S. dollars to do that. But I've, um, you know, it'd be like a college class, just like this, but all on the Bible with, um, you know, drawing the diagrams and things. But if you don't want to do that, you can also go to my blog, which is free, and there's almost a thousand entries now, and you can search through them. I've got a couple dozen videos that I've made. I'm not a, I'm not a cinematographer, so my videos are you know, my best effort to try and show this stuff. And then I've got, as you were mentioning, all these books. So The Undying Stars is actually from 2014. And I was just starting to understand all the connections to the stars. But in this one, I really kind of try and lay out the big picture. And this is still one of my most popular books, The Undying Stars. But after that came the series of Star Myths of the World. Volume one is kind of staying at a pretty easy level of the constellations and it bounces around from one culture to the next. So it doesn't get that deep. Volume two is where I go deep into one culture. This is just the myths from ancient Greece. I still like volume one. It talks about the myths of ancient India, some native American myths, and we can do some of those maybe on a future show if you want, or, um, myths from the Pacific, like the Maui myths. Um, but as I go along, I get more, the, the explanations get a little more in-depth and the, the constellations become a little more challenging. And also, as I'm going along, I'm learning more about the system. So volume two gets into even more depth because it's just going into one tradition, the Greek tradition, and going as deep as I can. It gets into the Iliad, the Odyssey. And then volume three is all about the Bible. And then my most recent book just came out earlier this year, 2017, is Astrotheology for Life. And it's trying to get deeper into how 
this applies to our life. Kind of like I, I was trying to bring kind that of in replace the religion we that you just uprooted. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't uproot the religion. Well, no, but somebody you know what I mean. It almost, somebody uprooted this religion. It almost comes <laughs> along well like that because if people are, you know, taking the Bible literally, and they can read all the, the, all your other books, and they're like, fuck. And then they're like, boom, astrotheology for life. I'm okay again. (laughs) So I really was taking the Bible literally before I started getting fascinated. Because it's got to be tough, right? To find out that it was just a story. Changes everything for your whole paradigm, your whole world. So um, The Undying Stars was the first book where I was trying to really, where I had been wrestling with coming to grips with this evidence because to me the evidence is really overwhelming i could overlook okay well that one thing kind of looks like that and maybe that matches up with the bible but we didn't go deep into some of the ones from the bible because of time but it really did throw me for a loop so i had to and and the synthesis that i am presenting here is coming from other researchers and and things that are said by you know, other cultures. I believe that if you look at the cultures that were the least disturbed for the longest, what they're saying is probably closest to what this system is trying to teach, like ancient India or Native Americans or the Far East. Places, yeah, Egypt, places where the Roman Empire didn't get to, basically. I think the Roman Empire was basically the one that ended up starting to stamp this stuff out, starting in Europe. Like, you know, my ancestors that come from Norway, they didn't, in ancient times, Norway was Norse myths, right? So this got imposed on that part of Europe. It, it, it all got imposed on Europe, but now it jumped from Europe and started trying to impose itself all around, around the rest of the world. But if you go to the places where it didn't get stamped, like it got stamped out in Europe so early, there's less of it went underground. But there still is with the Druidic some of the Celtic is tied into this. But if you go to the places that were left alone by the Roman Empire for longer, I think that's where you can um, get closer to get closer to what maybe they're trying to say. So I've had to try and understand what it could mean. I could be wrong. So I always say, go to the myths yourself. Yeah, I found check enough it out. Of, yeah, I found enough evidence that this is what they're saying. So learn the language and then go check it out for yourself and see if you think they're saying what I think they're saying. I yeah, don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not the spokesman for the myths. The myths are. So go to them. And, uh, but if you're speaking their language, then you have a much better chance of understanding what they're trying to tell you. Yeah. And everyone could use to spend a little bit more time looking at the stars. That's oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, unfortunately we are up on it. We are out of time. So big thanks to Dave for coming back on the show for being our first real video presentation and for wearing the shirt too. That worked out perfectly. Hey, thanks. Thanks a lot guys. I yeah. guess you guys are doing, you guys are doing a grime marathon right now. <laughs> we are. Yeah. We'll be out here till midnight. So, no, that's great. And we will stay in touch because I definitely want to get into a little bit more practical stuff where we can do this every couple of months, kind of talk about maybe if there is a myth that's in play that month um, and what to look for that month. We can maybe do it, you know, look to do it at the beginning of the month and kind of give people an outlook for what to look for. That'd be great. Yeah, I'll 
Thanks for suggesting that. I look forward to skies over Grimerica. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And Grandma C said him for you too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. I okay. really enjoyed it. Thanks, okay, David. Dave. Take care. Bye for now. Okay. All right. And that was our right. chat with David W. Matheson. We don't have to do the outro now, do we? Yeah, we can... just keep going. Oh, just yeah? Keep going. Yeah, big thanks to Dave for coming on the show. Um, we're going to shut down the YouTube feed right now. Pew! That's gone. Oh, we got to say goodbye to all the... No, it's oh, too late. Jeez. Yeah, <laughs> it's over. Just winging it here. Completely. So, yeah, big thanks to Dave for coming on the show. Um, it's fun when that was the third one. Check out the past uh, interviews if you hadn't heard them. Yep. I'm going to put him in the show notes. I think he was like our last interview before we started numbering him pretty much. Yeah, and some of those other ones like Robert Schock and Randall Carlson that he mentioned and a couple others like in. Carmen Bolter. We've done a lot of that stuff on ancient cultures as well. And this one was good visually. Um, some of it's some of it's it's hard for me to grasp the uh, what this means personally, spiritually to us. I can I can grasp that it's like that it's been put into these um these myths of like gods and warriors and stuff like that a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. I definitely yeah. like that stuff though. It's great stuff. Yeah. Great stuff. So check out the books, check out uh, Dave's got a YouTube channel. He's got his website. We'll link to all that in the show notes. Uh, check out our support page guys, grammarica.ca slash support. Uh, we're trying all these new things. Of course, if you didn't listen to this show, if you listen to the podcast, it's worth checking out the video on YouTube. This is the first one where we actually had a lot of visuals Proper uh, so visuals, yeah. Proper yeah. visuals, yeah. Other than Graham's ugly mug, the calf cam would have made would make any episode worth it, I suppose. But yeah, thanks for that, guys. That's our supporters that uh, help us do that. So if you could sign up for a monthly, that'd be super. One time donation, uh, that's great too. Uh, that gets you access to the to the black budget episodes. Of course, there's a bunch of different ways to help out the show for free. They're all in the show notes. Check out the motherfucking show notes. Try and do everything in there. That really helps. If everyone did that this month, we'd be, you know, in great shape. Yep. Um, all right, guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week.
every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on the boat of dust, suspended in a sunbeam. So big shout out to Graham's calves. They were pretty ripped.